Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there's a spoiler warning for the entirety of the film Promare, so please keep that in mind if you don't wish to be spoiled. And finally, the views and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. And with this, Summer at the Movies is coming to the grand finale, and I feel my firefighting spirit ready to burn up. I feel my soul ready to set ablaze, burning red hot with passion, violence, and hard-kicking asses. But you know what? I need a new friend. I need a companion who's with me through thick and thin to help fight the fires that is this film, Promare. It's time for Fire Rescue to introduce its new member of the family, Rory the Fire Dog. You can do it, Rory. We believe in you. You got this. Oh, you're such a good little girl. We appreciate you. Oh, aren't you the cutest little thing? Aren't you? Look at your little hat. You're so... <coughs> Excuse me. And with that, Dub Talk Burning Rescue Force is on the move. Let's go! Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk Summer at the Movies Season 4's Fiery Finale! This summer, we've gone through things like idols, robots, time travel. Uh, big hammers, perverts, thieves, and whatever the fuck was happening in Dragon Quest. Um, tonight, we are here to, to put a bow on everything, to put out this blaze with our big opinion on dub hoses. I am your hostess with the mostest, Megan, and with me I have Lieutenant Roots. Pork chop sandwiches! Oh, sh- Get the f*** out of here! What are you doing? Go! Go! Get the f*** out of here, you stupid idiot! F***! We're all dead! Get the f*** out! <laughs> what? That is the most I've ever heard you curse in my life! <laughs> We're gonna- We oh, have- can, can, we when, have... we no, when we censor that, can, can we not do the, the censor bleeps? Can we do like, like, like fire truck audio over every one of those swears? <laughs> Jackson, I know you're editing this, but if you can believe out every single instance of the word fuck or shit with the firefighter, <laughs> with the fire truck noise, you'll make this episode go from good to great. Speaking of tech, we have our firefighter tech guy, Noah. Dub patrol, dub patrol, we'll be there on the double. No job's too big, no fire's too small. Dub patrol, we're on a roll. So here we go, Dub Patrol. Whoa, ready to go. I'm fired up. And finally, we have our himbo with the mostest, Andrew. Just who the hell do you think I am? I'm not Kamina. I'm not from that other show. I'm Gallo, Gallo Timos, and I'm ready to set my firefighting soul ablaze, and I'm feeling a little too constricted in this shirt. I'm gonna tear it off no, and no. rip it off oh, my entire <laughs> Do it, coward! Do it, coward! Yes. Do it! Do it! Do it! Beef cake! Beef cake! Beef cake! Beef cake! 
Steph, oh, that's for you. And and some, somewhere, somewhere out there in the wilderness of America, you can hear Stephanie just going, "Oh my God, it's so hot!" Either that or a facepalm, one or the other. It's probably a facepalm. It's a mixture of both. It's both. <laughs> Simultaneously. It is a feeling of pride and of shame. It, here's what it, it is the exact meme of I am a moron sexual and I, I God, you are such an idiot, Andrew, as she starts ripping her own clothes off. I was gonna say there's this really great comic called uh Check Please. Um uh, and there's this one part where they're talking about what's called sick flow, which is people's hair. And it's like, oh it's disgusting, I want him to do me. <laughs> I like <laughs> Yeah? So tonight, we are here to finish off Summer of the Movies, but a quick warning, if you've somehow made it through that disaster of an intro, and still believe that you are watching a copy of Promare Illegally, you're f not. You're not. No. No, there's no Gallo, there's no Leo, there is only Zool in our podcast. So, uh, stop trying to pirate here, and go pick up the official release from G-Kids. G-Kids. There is a regular edition, there is a steelbook edition, and by the time that this is out, there will be a nice big shiny collector's edition. <laughs> you can also buy it digitally through digital platforms, including YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, PS Store, wherever the fuck you get digital sh**. Probably Amazon, but who knows, with the purse that they're doing now, they might see Gallo's titties as a threat. His titties are too strong. They cannot be contained. <laughs> Neither can Andrew's, but that's a sight that only Steph wants to see. <laughs> It, I, I have that in writing. <laughs> Only Steph can see it. So, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, let me give you a quick summary. Uh, the protagonist and focal point of the series is veteran New York firefighter Tommy Gavin. The series follows Tommy's troubled family and co-workers as they deal with real-life issues, wait. such as post-9-11 trauma or their own domestic problems. The Tommy struggle- Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That is the plot to the American television show Rescue Me. Oh my That's god, did you fucking pull the shit again? Are you <laughs> oh no, ladies and gentlemen, it's a callback. Call back, call back, call back, call back. I couldn't just do the plot of Fire Force, we all know that by now. I had to get you somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, let me get the right one. Uh, no, this is the um the, the, that show uh, that just came out um from uh, from Studio Trigger, and it's about uh, a, a girl who turns into a tanuki, right? And has to no, no, no. Up. That one doesn't go to space. Um, are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty uh, sure. No. <laughs> you can never be too sure. No, no. Uh, here we go. I got the right summary. Uh, it says it focuses on a young boy named Ryder who leads a search and rescue. No, no, it's not even Patrol. They work together on missions to protect the shoreside community Megan. of Adventure Bay. Megan, what? Megan, Megan, Megan. You, you, we should. We are worried normally about like Disney copyright or Toei copyright. But let me tell you, if you want to feel the full wrath of copyright gods, you've seen nothing until you've dealt with Nickelodeon and Viacom. They will murder us. Nickelodeon and Viacom can eat my sweet white ass. Uh, anyway, <laughs> speaking of ass eating, let's get to the plot summary of Promare, which I guess you probably have guessed is the finale episode. <laughs> I must have missed that at part of the movie. <laughs> That's the uh, 18 plus uh, OVA that can only be found on AXT in Japan. Oh, God. There's a very beefy Matoi pole in that one. 
coincidentally, you can also browse tags in AO3 to find that OVA. That's true. I wonder how many... Oh, you know, while you're reading this description, I'm gonna see how many fanfics. God are. damn it! Are we gonna fucking do this again? Maybe. Yes, uh. we are legally obligated to do this again. Read the description. L read the description first. <laughs> a reminder that I believe Ao3 has a Peabody. <laughs> Please respect <laughs> Ao3. Thirty years ago, a cataclysmic event destroyed half the world in a fire and caused a mutation that created a new race of people called the Burnish. Burnish are able to create and control fire. The Burning Rescue Fire Squad puts out fires caused by the Burnish. The new rookie of Burning Rescue is Gallo, a hot-headed man who wields Matoi tech, named after the Matoi banners that Edo period firefighters used. Gallo's encounter with Leo, the leader of the Burnish terrorist group called Mad Burnish, sets the story in motion. And along the way, you're going to learn that fuck capitalism, fuck the immigrations and customs officials, and that this episode cannot be unpolitical. Yep. Guys, I don't know if you've actually watched Promare. Promare is about as politically subtle as a brick through your window. It, you, you know that image going around of the, the two astronauts and one's got a gun, and it's basically yep. like, wait, it's all political? Always has Always been. Always has been. Always has been. Wait, wait, so, so in this in this instance, is the one holding the gun going to be Kazuki Nakashima, and the person looking at the Earth is just going to be a trigger fanboy? Sure. Question, there's two people holding the gun. The other one's, uh... The other one is Imaishi. Imaishi. Right. Hiroyuki Imaishi. And if you could not tell by those names, yes, people, we are covering the latest theatrical production from the reserved studio Trigger, the... The, Baker the of small, <laughs> independent the... productions such as Kill the Kill, Little Witch Academia. Uh, they also did Brand New Animal, but specifically, if you know the name Hiroyuki Maishi, we did mention one of his works. He's also done series such as Space Patrol, Luluko, Kill the Kill, uh, Sex. Sex, Violence, and Mock Speed, which is like... Thank you. That, I believe that was one of the, uh, you know where uh, Me, Me, Me came from? Yes. This, the same animation festival where that came from, Imaishi did some a short called Sex, Violence, and Mock Speed, which is actually referenced in Luluko. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, he also did Gur and Lagan, of course. And, of course, he did everyone's, uh, I'm trying to think of the other thing that he did. That Panty I... and Stocking. Thank yes, you. He did panty stocking. That's the other one. That, which, yeah, if you could not tell, this is Trigger is the the reserved group that broke off from Gynax because they thought, screw this, we're gonna we're, we're going to go our own route and go their own route. They did. Mm. We're gonna get we're gonna make our own animation studio with American influences and hookers. <laughs> yep. And God bless them for it. So, one one more thing before we get into this, I I want to ask: Do you want to take a guess at how many explicit Promare fan fictions I found on Ao3? Yes. A thousand. Uh, not, yeah, let's take not a thousand. No, no, no. Not a, a less It's at a least thousand? a triple digit. Oh, wow. I guess it is a little new. Um, I'm going to guess... 699. 700. Ooh, you're, ooh, you're actually... I'm going to say Megan's close, because you did the prices Right thing, where she said 699 and you said it's 700. That's a tick move. I was, I was literally going to say 700. I don't know how Megan knew <laughs> I was going to guess one number above what she was guessing. I was going for 69, that's why. 625. Okay. I was going for 69. Come on. So you still would have lost, Noah. Whoop, 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 whoop. Boom. You still would have lost. One dollar. <laughs> you know who isn't losing, son? Who isn't? <laughs> uh, the director and writer of <laughs> of the stub. Um, also, guys, yes, we're here to talk about a review of the entire uh, dub of the film. Um, 
at least Noah and I have seen Side Leo and Side Gallo, mm -hmm. which are like 12 minute shorts that take place before Promare, but for the sake of this review, like, we'll mention it, but 99.9% .9 of this review is going to be on the film itself, which was released in theaters by Cheek Kids like three times. Well, it was released twice, and then it was going to get it released again, and then the human malware was like, nah, fam, f*** that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But on the on the plus side, that did lead to G-Kids releasing a digital version of it earlier than originally planned. That was cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they did. And that is the only thing they have released early digitally. Um, there's a weird there's a weird thing where, like, somebody told me that this movie was not, like, that it wasn't that good and nobody was still really talking about it. And my entire thought was, are you high? <laughs> I um, still see art about it to this day. And it's not always you retweeting it. I, I know. <laughs> Shut up, asshole. <laughs> Says the girl who bought a, a book of Galileo pinups the other day. Um, what? Officially licensed? No, no. Oh, God, no fan art. Well, I, okay. Well, I mean, because Fire Force just had that one episode with the uh, the Firefighter Calendar Edition. I thought, you know, maybe Trigger thought they could get in on that market as well. God, they should. No, no, no. They're doing the one thing better than Fire Force could ever do, and that's making Nendroids out the butthole. <laughs> There's literally a Leo Nendroid that you can get where he does his ho-sit. The ho-sit. I like that name. <laughs> just the ho-sit. Uh, speaking of... You know what? I can't even segue that into this. Let's talk about our director and our writer. Our directors, there are three of them, but there are two primary ones, uh, which are Michael Sticker Nicholas, uh, Stephanie Shea, and Michael Snyder. And Michael Snyder was also our director. Uh, Michael Sticker Nicholas, you'll know for his directorial work on things like Oko's In, Dragon Quest, Your Story, and Fireworks, should we see it from the bottom of the top. Stephanie Shea, you'll know for her work on uh, series and movies such as FLCL Alternative, Liz and the Bluebird, and My Mind Miracle. Michael Schneider also did directorial work on things such as Dragon Quest Your Story, Oka's in in Mirai. As a writer, Michael Schneider has done things such as Dragon Quest Your Story and Oko's in. Uh, let's get started with Andrew, then Roots, then Noah, then me. Uh, I'll say first and foremost, uh, one of the things that I feel is worth mentioning, because Noah had previously mentioned that, uh, Trigger was an offset of Gynex. Mm -hmm. Something that happened a little bit earlier, a few months prior to the release of... Oh, good God, we have to bring this up, is right. We do have to bring this up slightly. I'm going to bring it up slightly. Just because something I feel worth mentioning that was kind of advertised at the start, I was a little worried about when I heard this. The other subsect of Gynax was Studio Kara. Studio Kara, who is basically now in control of the IP of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I bring this up because... For the brand new English dub of Neon Genesis Evangelion, Kara and Anno, they were heavily involved in the adaptation of the new Ava dub. One of the things that was a problem with that dub is that it was basically chokeholded by executive decisions to an insurmountable degree. Like, to the point that several lines from that dub are now memes, people will straight up say, you are worthy of my grace as a goddamn meme at this point because of things that happened with the Ava localization. So what I heard Trigger was going to have some involvement in the localization of this, my immediate thought was, oh shit, oh Christ, oh fuck, oh God. The other part of my brain was thinking, wait a second, this is Trigger, Trigger loves the West. They might have a couple of says, but for the most part, I think they'll let the localization team do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I'd say watching this dub several times now, 
It's a pretty natural sounding localization. The cast and the script does not sound like it does not sound like it is being chokeholded by executive decisions. The only time I think it's ever a little off is when they're using proper names like Mad Burnish, but that's just a Japanese to English thing. That's not a big deal. The script sounds pretty good for the most part. There's some pretty poignant lines of dialogue. They managed to make some of the goofier sounding lines sound pretty fun and goofy. When it needs to sound serious, it sounds pretty serious. When it needs to sound like a dumb, hardcore action romp, it is that. I feel the localization, the script, and the cast do a fantastic job of getting the tones that this movie needs to do perfectly. And this movie has a lot of different tones and atmospheres to work off, and I don't think any of it ever is at odds with each other, nor do I feel like any decisions from up top are really kneecapping this production at all. I think the dub cast is really good, I think the script is really good, and I think the direction, especially on like the main three characters, to be exceptional. I'd say this is a dub that lit the fires in me pretty damn hot. Wow. Also, I've now seen this fucking movie like three to four different times now. <laughs> that was, um, sorry, were you poised to be like a huge fan of this movie before even watching it? Like, this was one you were like super hyped for. Uh, I'll say this: I, in in the past couple of years, I've realized I enjoy Trigger stuff, but I don't always love Trigger stuff. <laughs> Darling Frank, <clears throat> sorry, don't know how that got in there. Got that out of there. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like that we got a tiny reference to that in this movie, which we'll mention I, when we get to another character. I feel there's more elaborate references, but there's what I know exactly the part you're talking about. I'll say this. I don't always love everything. Except for they're not cowards like the Darling and the Franks team. Mm, I'll say this. I don't always love everything Trigger does, but what I do love and what I do jive with mm -hmm. is the mad bullshit that Hiroyuki Ibaishi can do because... <laughs> Gurn Lagan, as I have reviewed earlier this year, is a show that is really near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. And there is a level of passion and energy that is reminiscent to that in oh, this definitely. movie. Like, I love Imaishi's chaotic, manic energy. And so I was looking forward to see what he would do in a two-hour span. And I feel he delivered when I saw it in the theaters. Excellent. And the reason I asked that is because um, knowing that you gave high props to the dub, uh, I needed to know if um, it, it matched up to the expectations you had if you were really looking forward to the movie, which sounds like it did. That that makes it doubly impressive mm. that you uh, had positive things to say about it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Thank you. Uh, Roots, if you want to go? Yeah. Um, one thing I definitely do appreciate, um, especially given the fact that Trigger was so directly involved... Um, I'm actually not sure if they were actually directly involved in the localization side of it, or if it was just the casting. It it could have been a little column A, a little column B. Like, they were absolutely, like, everything went through them in terms of, you know, who got cast where and whatnot. Um, that much I know. Really? Yeah. Um, they had even made a point to announce that when, um, at Anime Expo, I believe, last year... Like, they, they made it one of the big bullet points of their presentation at their panel. That's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking about actors from this movie who have been in previous dubs for other Trigger slash Gynax productions, specifically like Gurren Lagan in instance, because there are some Gurren Lagan veterans in this dub who are in roles very different from their Gurren Lagan counterpart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they... 
went out of their way to like straight up make this Gurren Lagan, but it was at least it was at least fun coincidences when some of that did pop up. I mean, it stands in contrast to something like um, when Funimation got the rights to dub um, Wolf Children and The Boy and the Beast, the two um, uh, Mamoru Hosoda films. Uh, the Japanese side specifically told them that we want the crew who dubbed Summer Wars to come back to as the writer and director. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's... Okay, that's neat. Yeah, so I, I also, like you were uh, mentioning, Andrew, a little skeptical when the Japanese side start to dip their fingers into the, the casting process. But it sounds like in this instance, it didn't really have a negative effect on the on the product. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I I like the fact that the um, the script is really punchy. Like dialogue flies at a mile a minute, and everybody involved, from the director to the writers to the actors, uh, we're basically able to keep up with all that. Um, it's very over the top. It's very you know high octane and. Um, Oh, yeah, Snap and Banner. The thing I usually look for in a dub of this kind of action-y show, or, I'm sorry, movie, where um, I look to see if the dialogue, like, it flows back and forth very well. And just, um, I also try to pay attention to the small talk that goes on. You know, off to the side of the frame, maybe a little bit of Walla, maybe a couple of the incidental characters having a little bit of a conversation over here. Um, it all sounded really good, and when everything just gets cranked up to 11, the action scenes, just everything going on at once, it is just an absolute delight to hear. Um, the movie is very well casted, like, the direction and the, the actual production side of it are very solid, so it gets my thumbs up. Noah? I'm, uh, no, I, I absolutely, um, had, uh, an expectation going into this, because... Um, NYAV Post, uh, which was the group that did the dub for this one, um, we had talked about a previous recent production they did on this podcast, which was Oko's In, and for that one, they decided to go for relatively newer cast members to fill out the roster, and that, uh, kind of fit for the style of Oko's In because it was, uh, more of a family-friendly film, something that, it, it, it fit very well. You can go listen to our episode on that one. For Promare, though, they clearly did not do that. They wanted... Uh, seasoned veterans, um, name talent, basically. Like, this cast list that we're going to talk about is just crammed balls to the wall with people that you've been hearing in anime for probably as long as you've been alive, maybe even longer. And because of that, there was a high expectation I had going into this, and it met it. There, this feels very natural. I forgot listening to this that there even was a Japanese track. I had no desire to switch over to the Japanese audio while listening because I thought, like, a plot point was lost or... The characters didn't sound distinct from each other. Um, like, uh, Gurren Lagann, from what I've heard, is alright, but I kind of prefer the Japanese audio for that than I do the the uh, English dub. Not so much in Promare. Promare is absolutely an A-plus English production, and we'll get into the individual characters when we get to them, but I do want to give major props to Michael, Stephanie, and Michael, or MSM as I call them, for giving each character distinct characterization. Like, you can close your eyes... Um, or even watch the movie, because sometimes the animation makes it difficult to tell what's going on. And you can still tell which character is which because they're given distinct voices, personalities, vocal quirks. Just little details that really make it feel like a fleshed out cast that could easily be transferred to a long-running TV series about these characters as well. So that's, it's good. It is good stuff in the dub department. All right. 
Um, there was something I was trying to find that they said about their casting, uh, and specifically to one character that I think is like the only thing I had an issue with, and unfortunately I can't find it. Um, but I think I I think I brought it up with Andrew and Roots before. Is that um, Trigger having a a say in the casting of this movie? Um, thankfully, it wasn't an an Ava situation because I think if it was an Ava situation, people would have never said heard the end of it. And this dub is well liked enough that I believe they actually played it in Japan. Nice. Yeah, they did. They did have screenings yes. of it in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, they did have showings of the dub of this in Japan. So for all you people who's are out there like, Germany's people don't ever want to watch dubs of their stuff. Oh, no, 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 they they, they did. Um, They did for this. Uh, I know people who have, uh, people who imported Kimono Friends' dub. Wow. Which is still cool. Also, don't forget that um, Bandai Visual used a bunch of the commercials Funimation produced for Space Dandy. Right. For their own advertising. Right, the ones where Ian Sinclair was dandy. I forgot about that. Those are amazing commercials, by the way. If you could ever find, if you ever want to watch those, go go look those up, or we'll link them in the, the description box below. In the doobly doo. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> um, I think I, I think that's copyrighted by this point. And now we got to pay Canadian dollars for using that. Damn it, Andrew. Thank God our dollar is stronger right now. That's why we call it the down below, Andrew. God damn it's it. The down below. Jackson, you got that for us, buddy. Love you. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, but uh. So this was a, uh, a quote from Wakabayashi. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read this. After discussing with our counterpart staff members, we ended up concluding that it would be better if the American version to have characters that are easier to understand. So we toned down his voice type and performance into his uh, simplified typical enemy type compared to the Japanese version. Uh, that's the only issue I have with this dub is um, no offense. English dubbed anime watchers and Americans are not that fucking stupid. Um, like, I, I'm speaking from my own experience, and I know I'm not everybody. Hi, I'm an anime fan with a bachelor's in humanities and cultural studies. Specifically in film and new media. I have studied film theory. I am not an idiot, guys. And even if I wasn't, I know I'm media literate, guys. I'd also argue that the character in question that they're talking about needing a little less nuance for... It's not as deep as you think it you is. You think, guys. Like, trust me, it's not as deep so much that your studio used the same villain twice in your last few productions. And that's some tea. <laughs> that's some tea, alright. Trigger, I love you, but we are not- Dub viewers aren't stupid. Um, other than that, though, I really do like this dub. When I first watched it, when this was dubby eligible, I don't think I was as in love with it as I was now. I think it was a bit of, okay, this is really good, but- Due to the movie's own faults, I think a lot of the secondary cast is kind of wasted on this film. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like if they did simplify down a lot of the characters based on that quote, that that really does kind of hurt it. Because, frankly, I think a lot of other dubs out there are able to get their nuances across. Like, I mean, for God's sakes, all of us, at least except for Roots, who I know hasn't started it, uh, all of us watch the Fruits Basket dub. And it's fantastic and has highly nuanced characters and performances. And I don't think they ever had to dub that down. I'd also even argue in the dub itself, there's plenty of subtlety and nuance from many of the performances, which we'll get into. I mean, Akka, where they even went back to add a little more nuance to one of the performances. Did they, actually? <laughs> yes, because somebody accidentally called them out on it and might have gotten it changed. <laughs> what? Patrick. Wait, what? 
It's a spoiler for Akka, so we're not going to say what it okay. is. Okay, we'll tell, tell me about this. that later, because I want to hear about the thing you did. I'll DM you. Cool, thanks. Love you. <laughs> Get a room, you two. God. Ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel really bad that I'm getting stressed out and cupping my titty mouse pet's titties. <laughs> That's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. <laughs> they're so squishy. And on eighth, and on the eighth day, God was stressed and made the titty mouse pad, and all was good. <laughs> God's wrist was hurting from creating all the animals, especially the platypus. <laughs> I just have all these spare parts. I don't know what I'm gonna do with them. You know, it didn't have spare parts. This movie. Um, oh. No. <laughs> Other than, other than that, uh, other than that one gripe, I think, which is more on the controlling end, um, I think that this stub came out really well, and I really want to give appreciation to the sound mixing team on this movie. Uh, if you've never seen Promare, this movie has a bitchin' OST and a lot of loud noises, and they mix together the audio and that together perfectly. Yeah, the fact that it's not drowning in dialogue and music it's a feat in itself oh yeah listen whenever the kakuse scene starts i literally get a little wet um i can't even you know what <laughs> you know what i thought you were listen i thought you were gonna say you me listen too, andrew <laughs> i mean raise your hand if just the animation of leo getting really mad and his face becoming the volcano Come on, Noah. You it's so good. <laughs> it, 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 I, I did put a hole in the wall from that rock hard boner. I'm not going to deny that, but the, <laughs> it, it, it was. You're right. It was very well mixed. It was incredibly well mixed. I, I, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of some other Trigger Productions, but I can't deny. Uh, rub it out for good, gentlemen. If you need, if you need to get pour it, one out for good mixing. If you're a little nervous and you need to get it up, just think of Matari Yuane. And right after, you too, your own dragon, will grow bigger and bigger. <laughs> you too will know what it is to have philosopher time. Oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> anyway. Now that we've scared away all of the scrubs. <laughs> Are we going to move on? <laughs> This is a very... No, I really like the dub of this movie. And, and I'm with Noah. Like, I've had the opportunity to, like, go back and watch the sub. And I'm just like, eh, I don't want to fucking do it. <laughs> I like the dub too much. Especially, especially Leo and Gallo's performances. They are, they are very, very good. <laughs> I keep looking at my mouse pad. Soon, Megan. Soon. <laughs> move along. Speaking of move along, let's roll on into our first cut of characters. Uh, we're gonna do these a lot in groups because, frankly, if you've seen this movie, there are like there are like five actual characters who matter. Um, but that being said, we we still do want to talk about some of the performances of our secondary cast. Those are Mace Guerrera, who are the two lieutenants of the Mad Burnish, who run around setting fires. And if you've watched Side Leo, they are kind of they they are kind of running around doing a lot of stuff and being their own thing until they meet Leo, who bails their asses out, and they're just like, oh fuck, his fire's bigger than ours. All right, he's in charge now. Um, Varys Truss, who is who is a member of the Burning Rescue. He is the big dude who eats about as much pizza as Gallo. Holy shit, I realize another tweet that I need to get pulled By up. By the way, you were, you were trying to remember what the name of the pizza was. I think they said they were Mad Margaritas. Oh, God, that sounds... I want a Mad Margarita. I need a Mad Margarita. Anyway, here we go. Remy Pugna, 
who is the lieutenant of Burning Rescue, who is the glasses-wearing guy who's like, stick to the rules, man, I have a stick up my butt. I've also seen fan art of him in uh, Ignis as a couple. Um, and then there is Blair Colossus, who is uh, Cray's secretary, and she's his assistant. But before we go on, we have to talk about the most powerful member of Burning Rescue. A powerful rat named Vinny. Vinny? <laughs> Vinny, Vinny! I didn't... A powerful rat named Vinny Burning Rescue. I, I don't even... I'm going to actually assume his name is Vinny Burning Rescue. <laughs> it's canon now. Thank you, Defunct Clan. I, I mean, I... I, I... <laughs> Are we sure that's not just uh that's just not Akko from uh, Little Witch Academia making a cameo? You know what? It could be. Though I'm not gonna lie. A powerful rat named Charles Entertainment Cheese. Yes, yes, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> He's not powerful anymore. He's uh, not powerful uh, anymore. He he is no now. More. Vinny is the most powerful <laughs> punished rat. Charles Entertainment Cheese. For, for those who don't know what we're talking about, Chuck E. Cheese is no more. Demoted rat Charles Entertainment Cheese. If you want to know what that's from, please, we'll put it in the down below, the link to that defunct land episode. You should watch it anyway. Vinny has slayed Chuck E. Cheese. Now he goes for <laughs> God to kill the mouse of Mickey. I believe in you, Vinny. M Megan, I, I, I gotta be honest. At one point, I thought you were gonna say a powerful rat named Michael Eisner. <laughs> <laughs> But we're not talking about Cray Foresight yet. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the Bojack Horseman episode. So, please stop making fun of Michael Eisner. He's, he's suffered enough. I don't think he suffered enough at all. <laughs> the Disney sequels weren't that bad. <laughs> Playing God, my body hurts. Megan, we can start a spinoff podcast just talking about bashing the Disney company. I would yes! gladly co-host with you with that. Absolutely. <laughs> I both hate and love the Disney company. I'm a holder. <laughs> I am a slave to a powerful mouse named Mickey and with his simp, Bob Iger. You, you, can't, you can't row, row, fight the power when you have a season pass. I'm gonna be honest, I did not think the term simp would be used in the context of Disney, but you know what? Oh. When in Rome... Why didn't Rome? Bob Iger <laughs> simping for Mickey. No. <laughs> Please, stop, God, stop. I'm going to start. Okay, playing Mace is Yuri Lowenthal. Playing Guerrero is Matt Mercer. Playing Varys Trust is John Bentley. Playing Remy uh, Punga is Billy Bob Thornton. Playing Blair Colossus is Melissa Fawn. And playing Vinny is our, one of our directors, Michael St. Nicholas. <laughs> Yuri Lowenthal, you'll know his characters such as Luca in Dragon Quest Your Story. Uh, Yuri Shiba in Kyokara Mao, and Simone in Gurren Lagan. There we go. Matt Mercer, you'll know his characters such as Levi Ackerman in Attack on Titan, Leorio in Hunter Hunter, and Yusuke Asahina in Brothers Conflict. Of course. John Bentley, you'll know as Nathan Seymour, aka Fire Emblem in Tiger and Bunny, Tiger's Eye in Sailor Moon Super S, and Morio Sonoda in Baki. Billy Bob Thompson, you'll know as Nuke in Mazinger... Mag... Meh. Uh... Mazinger, Crunchyroll, you know what, f*** it. Nuke and Crunchyroll nominated Mazinger Z Infinity. I don't know that. Callahan and Pokemon. Callahan and Pokemon, the movie The Power of Us. And Taito Aimo, 
Amino in Psychic School Wars. Go fuck yourself, CR, for not nominating Maquia that year and having Promare last year. Melissa Fine, you'll know as Lycos and Children of the Whales, writer in Fate Unlimited Blade Works in Fate Say Night's Heaven Twill, and Finnis in Lost Song, and Michael Sticker Nicholas, you'll know as Dagger in Black Butler Book of Circus, Takaru in Freedom, and Sobe in Samurai 7. Wow. I'm gonna give you a <gasps> golf clap for that. That was really impressive. Okay, you, you didn't. Like, legitimately, you didn't flub any Japanese names in there. That was legitimately impressive. Yeah, you've earned a drink for that one. You deserve a pizza. <laughs> I need a- I need a- I don't want a margarita pizza, I want a margarita. Mm-hmm. Andrew! Uh, okay, so starting off, uh, Melissa Fawn got a paycheck. <laughs> that she did. Uh, she got a paycheck. Uh, Blair has a cool design. She has a couple lines of dialogue, and I think she controls the mech at some point before she gets blown up. That's really all she does in the movie. I'm sorry. Uh, who, who do a little bit more are, uh, Remy and Varys. I think they have really cool designs, and I actually really like their interactions with their ensemble cast, and they have really cool mech dynamics, where I believe Remy is basically Ice Sniper, and, uh... Varys is pretty much, he is the heavy lifter, but also, like, basically breaks stuff down to, like, free people. I think it's actually a pretty cool dynamic. Eric, uh, John Eric Bentley, I think he has a really cool, gruff, but badass tone of voice. He's really cool in the action scenes, and I like seeing him play off of Gallo and the other crew members. He's got this great, cool tone of voice. He's a badass. He's got this gruff, but very... Like, he's a bit of a meathead, but he's very sincere and hardworking. And he has great chemistry with his cast. Him and Remy, I think I wanted to see a little more of. Like, if this was a series of, like, 12 episodes, they definitely would have had a side episode or two. Uh, I think Billy Bob Thompson does a great job being this kind of cool, suave, glasses, bishy boy who's... Ice cold and sincere, and he does a good job as well. I think they both do good jobs. I wish they could have, have done a little more. I like their designs especially too. Speaking of good designs, holy sh**, Mace and Guerra. Uh, Yuri Lothal and Matt Mercer, they are f***ing veterans. You know who they are. If you say you don't know who they are, you're not paying the f***ing attention. I love their action dynamic. I love that they are the plus one slash, I don't know. No, no, they're the, the side bitches. You know what? I don't even know if they're the side. They, what? No, what they are. Here is exactly what they are. You've seen a goofy movie, right? Yes. They are the they are the two hot singers that Powerline has on the side of him in the <laughs> finale where they're singing eye to eye. That is exactly what they they make the main guy look hotter by their hotness. I hate the fact that I am now envisioning Leo singing eye to eye to Gallo. I'm so mad at you for this image. I'm not gonna lie, I kind of love this image too. Um, I'm I'm gonna go through the movie frame by frame that scene frame by frame and just you know put their faces right on top of the character animation. He'll do it. He'll do it. I will give I'm you money. I'm gonna do a, a Nigel Thornberry face swap thing, okay. but with those three characters. Also, I'll, I'll say this. I wish they did a little more in the movie. I'm told they definitely get a little more meat to work off of in the side uh, Leo special. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, cool. But I will say, Yuri Lowenthal and Matt Mercer, they are great voice actors, and they do a pretty good job when they are doing things. I love the action scenes. I love when they literally see Gallo doing his whole 
Chuny like samurai spiel and they're like is he an idiot definitely an idiot it's like okay yeah they have great chemistry together him and these two and leo their designs are rad i love their transform states and their stupid little doom buggies it's it's so goofy <laughs> but it's so cool how do you make a physical four-wheel vehicle out of fire i don't want to <laughs> die I just want to ride my motorcycle. It doesn't make sense. Cool. I don't care if it makes sense. It's <laughs> fucking cool. But Yuri and Matt Mercer are great voice actors and they do a great job. It's not a dude buggy at all, you dumbass. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what the word was. I just <laughs> ATV, four wheeler, redneck. You know those little cars that you get when you're a kid and you like stomp your little feet. Those little, like, fire trucky things. <laughs> you know the- Fire trucky thing. Shut up! You mean the Flintstone mobiles? No, yeah, but they're, they're like the little red car with the yellow roof. Yeah, yeah, we have two of those in our front yard. Yeah, they're riding the redneck versions of that. <laughs> Basically. Well, I mean, one of them was actually a motorcycle, though. Okay, yeah. I, I just know Mercer's guy, Guerra, he's got a four-wheeler and it's fun. He's, he's got such a big body and such a tiny car. It's great. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, uh, these guys are great. They don't get to do too much, but they, they are fun and I like their designs. Yeah, all these characters, I think they have great designs, but these are definitely the characters that get probably the most shafted due to the two-hour length of the movie. But all in all, every actor who was playing their parts did a pretty good job. And, oh, and, oh, and Vinny, 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 And those are my thoughts on Vinny. I disagree. Jeez. Vinny, Vinny, Jeez, Megan, this is supposed to be at least somewhat PG-13. Come on. your mother! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Put a sensor in there. I want Jackson to censor all of my videos with fire horn noises. I think this episode has gotten dangerously cheesy. Andrew. I'm going in the corner. corner. It's, it, you, you do your thing, Roots of Justice. You don't get your shirt back either. Good. <laughs> and we're getting Chuck E. Cheese, and you're getting the cross. No. What Chuck E. Cheese? They don't exist anymore. Exactly. No, they're now Pasquale Pizza. <laughs> That's right. We we still have to take Lilac to a Chuck E. Cheese someday. It's okay. We're gonna make like we're gonna make like a fucking uh, dumb talk version of uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> yes. But it's gonna be uh, Stephanie, Megan, Noah, Andrew, and Roots go to Chuck E. Cheese. Our, our long quest to find the last remaining Chuck E. Cheese. Well, here's what we do. We go dumpster diving, pull out as many of the of the robots as we can, and then we'll make our own Chuck E. Cheese oh, with blackjack <laughs> and hookers. Oh, no, no, no. That's just a Dave and Buster's. Roots, roots. No, no, no. I... <laughs> that is... Look, I saw I saw the live-action Banana Splits movie. I do not want a recreation of that anywhere near us. Holy shit, I forgot that came out. We have fun here. I was gonna say, if we go dumpster diving for a bunch of robots and make our own Chuck E. Cheese, that's just Five Nights at Freddy's. We're gonna get sued. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're already gonna get arrested for dumpster diving, so why not? That's not a crime, is it? <laughs> not if you get, if you don't get caught. It's too pathetic to arrest. 
Oh, one day, one day I will tell you guys about, I will tell you about the time that the dumpster in my college started floating away and some guys started riding it like a raft. <laughs> Roots, please just do your That's thoughts. That's for a different episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so as I was kind of, it kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I did the, uh, I don't want to die. I just want to ride my motorcycle. Cool. Keep it in the G.I. Joe PSA jokes, oh. and I'm going to be running all night, folks. Oh my god, I cannot wait for you to get to my favorite one. Yeah, so with that, I'll start with uh, with Maze and Guerrera. Um, Yuri Lowenthal and Matt Mercer were delights. I haven't seen the uh, the Side Leo episode yet. I guess it, it is actually kind of a hoot, so I'll probably come back around and check it out. But um, they're just lovable goofballs who are just trying to pretend to be serious. Like... It's like Team Rocket. They want to be these revolutionaries, but, you know, they're they're just kind of dorks. Hey, at least Team Rocket managed to capture all the Butterfree in one episode. Well, that was a fluke. That's true. They, I think they even sent that episode saying, hey, don't we usually fail by this point in the episode? Yeah, just enjoy it while it lasts. And then it didn't. Anyway, uh, Matt Mercer and Yuri Lowenthal were just, they had to have gone into this knowing that these were just two dorks. And, and they, they just played them up really like they're, they're lovable doofs and they and they're incredibly loyal to their boss and like they just want what's best for their kind. And if it means, you know, blowing up a couple buildings here and there, you know, you can just build new ones. Uh, John Bentley and Billy Bob Thompson. Um, I really like their dynamic together. It really does feel like they're playing up the, the brains and brawn of the characters. But then they're they're both incredibly loyal to their unit and really good friends with Gallo and, and the rest of the crew. I, I really like the banter between them and everybody at, at the pizzeria. That's like their one really good moment to interact with each other as a group. Yeah. Or after um, after Gallo gets arrested and they're all reacting. Like, what the hell did you do, boy? Pretty much. Uh, do forgive me if I'm breezing through this, but, um, like, Blair's there. Melissa Fawn gets a couple of lines, shows up. Like, like Andrew said, it's a paycheck. Like, she doesn't really get to do a lot, and it doesn't sound like she gets to do anything really major in the, the two little OVAs either. Mm -mm. But, you know, it's just one of those roles that have to get filled. More or less. She's on here because she gets a thing in the credits, that's why. It literally blows up in her face and the, her name card comes up. Like, all in all, this this little group is fun. And, you know, Michael Center Nicholas just getting to say, Vinny, Vinny, Vinny. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm, I'm, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, can we, can we bleep out a few of those? I, I said something really, really bad. Also, also, if you thought a uh, hamster eating a banana w was impressive, how about a rat eating an entire New York style hot dog? <laughs> I mean, if Pizza Rat taught us anything, they can eat anything, man. Pizza Rat's a legend. I'm, I'm Do you think Vinny was designed out for Pizza Rat? You know what? Hot dog rat. There is a not 0% chance of that being the case. I mean, Ibaishi has explicitly made a cartoon about Trump getting beaten up by a flaming skeleton. This is true. There, considering the number of references that Trigger loves to throw in, more than anybody can catch, I wouldn't put it past them that it was a reference to Pizza Rat. There's 
there's they are definitely big fans of like western stuff like i was in a room where they did an inferno cop short literally just for my local anime con and it ended with like a solid three minute chant of everybody in that room going new jersey new jersey new jersey new jersey the only time in anyone's life where they had pride for being from the state of new jersey <laughs> i look i'm feeling a little prideful now but yeah, it's 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 what it does happen. It's far and few between. Listen, you currently don't have a governor that tried to sell you an illegal bridge. This is true. <laughs> F you, Christy, you piece of. F Anyways, guys, do we have to bring politics into this this episode? <laughs> oh, right. We're talking about Promare, yes. the apolitical art piece that has nothing to say about the modern world. What the what? None at all. None at all. Absolutely not. N nothing. Nothing that relates to our modern uh, existence. I'm sorry, Roots, did you get all your thoughts out? Mr. Bottom Massage Machine, go! <laughs> what?! Is that another G.I. Joe reference? Yes. Okay. I swear to God, if I hear the words help computer, I'm gonna lose my shit! <laughs> no, that, we're, save, we're saving that. It's gonna get dropped in here and I'm terrified. <laughs> So uh, I, I would just like to say that um, I, I think Vinny is actually a really good character. I, I especially like the part where he controls Linguini to make the soup that saves the restaurant in the first <laughs> act of the movie. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the wrong rat! <laughs> Guys, I think I watched the wrong movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are we talking about again? I'm sorry. Okay. I had a carbonated liquid in my mouth. I mean, you had, I had, you had it. it. I mean, when you think about it, the giant dumbass nerd does make out with uh, dark and dark and gloominess. All right, so are you telling me that Vinny jumped on the gallows hair and was piloting <laughs> the deus ex? I mean, Leo de Gala in the entire time. Yes. yes, that's that's our that's our game theory for this episode. Vinny was controlling Gallo all along. I had carbonated drink in my mouth. My jawbone feels funny. <laughs> I had to hold it in so I would not spit on my laptop. I'm oh. sorry to Megan's laptop, but it was well worth it. I didn't. I swallowed like a good girl. Honestly, that's that's way more entertaining than any thoughts I'm gonna have on this batch of characters because, as An oh. as Andrew and Roots did point out, they're they're interesting characters. They're interestingly designed. They just don't have much to do in the movie proper, which is good, which is very good. Because one thing I don't like about a lot of Trigger Productions is their insistence on introducing a lot of characters and giving them a lot of screen time without giving them anything meaningful to do or without them having addition to the plot. I'm looking at you, BNA, as just one example, but that's for another episode. I, no, no, no. I will save those thoughts and put them in a box and save them for another episode. But for Promare, um, Varys, Remy, Gira, and Mice are all, are introduced just the right amount to uh, flesh out the larger cast of characters. Um, Remy and Varys in particular, um, I believe that this is one of many uh, groups of firefighters because, like, they're part, they're one of... I think they are they're they're number three. Yeah, there's there's a lot basically. They they cover different parts of the city and concurrently the rest of the world. 
So I like that Trigger went to the time to have like seven or eight individuals who make up this group here. It would feel lesser if it was a small group of like just two or three individuals. Um, and no qualms on the acting. Both John and Billy fill their archetypes very well. They're, they're well-filled archetypes. And again, it felt like it's a dub. I did not feel like uh, something got lost in the translation to Japanese. And I, I really did enjoy Yuri and Matt quite a bit. Um, I, I especially like uh, Matt's little line where he calmly tells one of the Burnish when they're breaking out. He says, no problem for the boss. And it's like this very um, bro-ish kind of delivery that re really conveys a lot of... That was very, that was very New York. It, wasn't it? There, yeah. There... At least he didn't try to call it a Mena accent. Yeah. Yeah, you Wouldn't beat me he... to it. Mm-mm, not, not gonna try. I got called out for that last ep- I forget which episode that was, but- It was I, No Gun's Life. There you go. We're not doing that again. I'm, I'm gonna stick to my Boston accent that sucks and move on from here. Thank uh, you, Marky yeah. Mark. I need you to- I need you to say the words The Departed. So you see, you scumbags, you <laughs> scum suckers, The Departed are what I'm making this movie absolutely gorgeous. I love it. I love it so much. So, Moise and Guerra are two of the bros that you want to have in your life. You want to have Yuri and We're going to get our ass kicked by the entire city of Boston. Absolutely. Noah, and when... I want you to know that my entire body is cringing into a singularity right now. I'm very sorry. Keep it up. Departed, departed, pay taxes. <laughs> taxes! <laughs> Thank you for someone else for getting that reference. God, we, I feel like these podcasts need footnotes. Just somewhere at the bottom. No, that's a, that's a video by Rooster Teeth. I wouldn't know that. I, I imagine most of our listeners would, though. I'll send you the AMV version of it. It's really good. Okay. But yeah, yeah. do not make this section last much longer. Um, these are all seasoned. Uh, Yuri and Matt in particular are like very seasoned actors. And if you watch the behind the scenes extras um, that came with the Blu-ray edition, Matt um, was talking about how he was just like absolutely pumped to be a part of this. I think he said he was a big fan of Gurren Lagann. So it's, it's always fun to watch actors who are also big nerds as well. And we got another uh, big nerd coming up later Ooh, on. Who yeah, is also yeah, yeah. You know exactly, know exactly who I'm who talking about. I exactly who you're about. talking about, too. Yes, you oh, do. Oh, boy. It, it just, it, it feels the dream, you know? Like, you, you podcast listeners out there, you are a big fan of anime. And if you stick to your training and you seek out the opportunities, you, too, could be cast in the next Big Trigger production. You just got to keep trying and get better at it and beat Matt Mercer. Being Matt Mercer helps. You gotta believe. Do the impossible, see the invisible, row, row, get the casting. <laughs> Darn it. Row, row, get that casting. There you go. I want to drop as many Gurren Lagann references as we can in this. I will break out into singing the theme song at some point in the episode. Will you, will you break out into the theme song first before the girl who sings it gets to sing a JoJo's opening? Oh God! Let her do Stone Ocean for fuck's sake! All right, all right, I'll I'll make you that deal. You'll win that deal. Yes. Where, where was I going with this? I was just gonna say, um, yeah, they're they're all they're all well acted. There there isn't a sour delivery or offline I could find in any of this. And Melissa Fawn does perfectly well. Also, um, she she's she's good. She's all good. Archetypes were filled. Paychecks were collected. Megan. Uh, no, so let's start with, uh, Blair. Thank you, Melissa Fawn, for providing your, your dulcet sweet tones for a woman who is clearly okay enabling the destruction of minorities. Good job. Uh, Mace and Guerrera are a lot of fun. I actually couldn't believe that that was Matt Mercer as Guerrera at first. I was like, bullshit! Mostly because they don't talk enough and I didn't get enough time to, to adjust to it when I listened to it. And I was like, yeah, that's Yuri as Mace. 
but Maddis Guerrero was the one that I, I couldn't believe. I'm not super familiar with either Billy, uh, Billy or John, so I genuinely liked both of their performances. I can't say that I've watched Tiger and Bunny in English. I've watched like three fourths of it in the sub. It, it's a very Japanese show, so that's that's not unnatural. I liked I liked Tiger and Bunny though, but um, I would be willing to go back and do the dub. I liked it back when it had corporate sponsors. It, it yeah. still does, just not on the Netflix version. Yeah, that's a show that like eventually like I'll probably end up buying the Blu-ray for it. Just because I do, it, I do wish. I... Yeah, I do hope that that it preserves the original broadcast version. Season two is gonna have whole new sponsors, and it's gonna be fascinating. I cannot believe that's getting us. I I cannot wait for somebody to be sponsored by Pornhub. No, no, I was gonna say <laughs> Faku. Ah. Mm-hmm. Ah. They they're legit now. Only only if the villain of. Tiger and Bunny is sponsored by Tencent. Ooh, spicy. You joke, but that could legitimately happen. Oh no, what? I'm expecting it to happen. And there, there will be a Fortnite dance thrown in. Okay, okay. Now it. you're pushing it. Now you're pushing it. It's not, Andrew, you do know that they make Fortnite and Androids, right? You know what? Never mind. Let's continue on. <laughs> <laughs> um. So no, I wasn't, but I really liked Remy and Varys' voices. I thought that they were really, really well put together. I kind of do wish that they were in the movie more. I really like when, I'll I'll admit, I really like when Jon's eating the pizzas with Gallo. Just that that dumb bro carnal eating. And I'm just like, what the f***, guys? What the honk? Um, What the Vinny? (laughs) What the Vinny? (laughs) So no, I really like them. And then of course, Michael as Vinny was, is Vinny? Finny, Finny, the departed. <laughs> uh, no, I actually really liked him. I thought he did the cute mascot voice without sounding super obnoxious. Uh, that being said, are we ready to move on? Yes, yes ma'am. Uh, so let's get into the science and the in your fighting cop dads. <laughs> Lucia Flex is the Burning Rescue's tech lady. She is also here because Trigger seriously just keeps creating characters for this one Seiyu. <laughs> <laughs> And God bless them for it. They always love putting Mayumi Shintani in things. And I'll say this. On the rewatch of this, I realize Lucia Fex actually looks like one of their trigger girls when I look closely at it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that she might be that. But yeah, Lucia Fex is also, she's basically making all their tech, wants to do sciencey stuff, and kind of encourages Gallo's bullshit. Good for her. Ignis X is the chief of Burning Rescue. Uh, he is essentially your hot firefighter dad. He's axe cop. No, he's he's ass firefighter. Vulcan Hastis is the head of basically the head of ice. Yep. Um, there's no way there's no way to dance around it. I forget what they're, <laughs> they're actually act- called. They are actually called the Freeze Force. That's a bad okay, pun. Okay, the Freeze Force. Are you Buzz Lightyear? I love your movie. <laughs> what the f- Patrick? Okay. Uh, but Vulcan is essentially the head of the Freeze Force. He is one of the actually more antagonistic forces in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he also gets shot out of a dragon's eye at one point, and it's kind of badass. And then, uh, it isn't a trigger movie unless we have someone making us be able to go to space. Deus Prometh. He's a scientist that tried hey, to- kid. <laughs> I'm a computer. God damn it! Stop with all the downloading. I knew it was coming! I knew it was coming and I couldn't stop it! (laughs) 
don't know anything about no computer. My mom. Okay, do you want to know what I know that from? What? I don't know it from G.I. Joe. I know it from Chobits. Oh my god. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's an AMVL where somebody stuck that to Chobits. But yeah, Deus Pro. Was, was, that, was that an AMV Hell mini bit? Three. I think it's in three. Okay, I was like, I know I've seen that clip somewhere before. You can tell how old Noah and I are in terms of weebdom that we can tell how old AMV Hells are because there's so many fucking Azamanga Dio clips in it. <laughs> a is for unorthodox. M is for, it's for subliminal. subliminal. <laughs> v. V. Audio C. A. A M, M. V. Hell. Oi. Sorry. Anyway. But yeah, Deus Prometh, he was working with Cray, and then Cray fucking shot him, so he uploaded his ass to a computer. A2, Cray. Et, et, A2, Cray. Was I cake the entire time? Oh god, no. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, playing Lucy Effects is Kari Walgren. Playing Deus Prometh is Mike Pollock. Playing Ignis X is Steve Bloom. And playing Vulcan Hesius is Neil Kaplan. Uh, Kari Walgren, you'll know as characters such as Haruka Harahara in FLCO, Karina Lyle slash Blue Rose in Tiger and Bunny, and Robin Senna in Witch Hunter Robin. She is almost always requested by Trigger to match uh, her Seiyu. Mayumi Shintani, I believe is her name. Thank you. Mike Pollock, you'll know as uh, Yakov Nikten in Dr. Stone, Adon in Berserk, The Golden Age Arc 2, The Battle for Doldre, and Dr. Eggman in Sonic X. It's an anime account! <laughs> Steve Bloom, you'll know his characters such as Darsha and Wolfsray and Spike Spiegel and Cowboy Bebop, and Kyogai in Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, as well as um, Leron in Gurren Lagan. That's a completely different... I don't know, but your rat seems kind of happy. <laughs> Neil Kaplan, you'll know his characters such as Hawkmon in Digimon Adventure 2, Madara Uchiha in Naruto Shippuden, and Emperor Zarkon in Voltron Legendary Defender, which isn't an anime. I'm just here to talk about things with shit endings. Also, please don't ask us which Maduro Chiha Neil Kaplan please is. Please don't Andrew ask us. Andrew and I us. couldn't figure it out. The answer is yes. F*** off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I put that in there knowing what happened, but I'm going to say I did. Good on you. Andrew, Andrew, go ahead. Uh, okay. So first of all, I'll start with Dad Cop. Dad Cop Ignis X, because <laughs> Steve Bloom is about as veteran as they come, and he's got a nice, authoritative growl to his voice. He's very commanding. He gets things done. And I love that he is the dad of the group, because he's the one that calls out all of Gallo's dumb bullshit, where he's like, what kind of idiot poses while putting out the fire? He's a firm but fair leader. But he also sticks up for his people, and he butts heads quite literally with Vulcan, and it's awesome. He's also pretty good in, like, the tank top where he, he puts on the thing. He's a good <laughs> commander dad guy, and I, he's great. I also think- Oh, that's right, he does wear a crop top. He does wear a crop top. He does. I'll also say this. Rock that crop top, Dan! I think my favorite delivery from uh, Steve as Ignis is when Gallo is literally running and keeping up with a moving vehicle, and he's like, we gotta put out that fire! And he just says very firmly, like that fire on your ass. <laughs> that was good. That's like one of my favorite lines in the movie. I love that part. Uh, I'll also talk about the slimy rat bastard pig who uses brutality to get the job done, Vulcan. Vulcan's a slimy piece of shit. He's a cruel, brutal guy who does things for the sake of justice, 
to justify his own power-hungry brutality to play with big weaponized toys and to pretend that he's defending the people when he's actually uh subjugating them and treating them as subhuman this is not a political movie at all by the way not a political movie at all <clears throat> nope, nope. i will say neil's got this really good gruff evil tone of voice it's actually pretty menacingly evil for the most part it's hilarious but it's also weirdly goofy that he uses his own name as like a sound effect on onomatopoeia <laughs> he's like mm, vulcan 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 punch i'm like oh my god are you for real the the least popular pokemon He's such a evil, slimy bastard, and Neil is chewing up the scenery. He's an evil piece of sh** that it's cool when he gets his sh** rocked, and he gets out of his mech suit, and he's very much just a tiny baby man. <laughs> you know, just like most racist are. Mm. Just like most racists. But yeah, no, uh, Neil Kaplan does a great job. Uh, Mike Pollock. I'll say this. Mike Pollock and Deus Promare showing up is kind of where the movie d does the trigger jump shark so to speak trigger projects don't jump the shark they they launch the shark into orbit. i think here's the thing i think this is a great movie i think it's a wonderful movie i think the biggest criticism is that it, it kind of throws out the third act to do a cool thing which i kind of think starts just up. like every trigger everything ever true but i think it's especially egregious in this one that being said mike pollock is a fantastic voice actor and he does a great job doing this very dry like exposition dump it's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek which is fun where he's like how do you know all of this i know because i am a computer and it's like okay you know what it, it's fun and tongue-in-cheek and it's he, he mike pollock does a great job he's a great actor and also kari walgren she's not always a mayumi shintani standard but what she is she's a gremlin motherfucker and she is delightful she is a ton of fun she is this very uh chaotic creature and she knows exactly <laughs> what she's doing she's very firm about her science she's like inventions that make money are nothing but heresy she is that level of bad scientist she's a hipster scientist she's a hipster scientist i make these things before no she's a scientist with morals she's a scientist with morals yeah but I think also my favorite delivery in the movie is where uh, Gallo is riding the <laughs> Deus Ex Machina. They called it, they, they literally, they literally called it. Excuse me, that's Leo de Gallon to you scrub that's, lord. That, that's the actual title, but the working title was the Deus Ex Machina. You cannot do that. You cannot. They fucking knew it. Fu no, oh no, they were fucking with you. Not allowed. Not allowed. Unacceptable. I was actually laughing. I'm like, okay, they're being tongue-in-cheek about it. That's fun. But I think my favorite delivery from uh, Kari as Lucia is when she sees them flying in the mech and she's like, what is it? Where did it come from? I need answers. Tell me, Gallo. And I'm like, oh my god. It's, it's the level of chaotic energy is perfect. But no, I think these are all fun, well-acted characters. And I, I, I'm going a little too long. Anyways, I'm done. Okay. Patrick. Um, oh. I almost said your last name. <laughs> <laughs> I almost ratted out my boyfriend's name. You cannot call him by his full name of Patrick Starfish. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Roots. Delete the little bit and poster. Add a little fire engine noise to it. That'll make it funnier. <laughs> what is Patrick's real name? Find out never on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> I know anyway. your name because I love you.
Sorry, honey. Uh, let's see here. I'll start with the one who really doesn't do much compared to the others in terms of progressing the plot. Uh, Steve Bloom as Ignis X. Um, I think he did a really good kind of bossish voice. Um, I am actually kind of curious. I'll, I'll look it up later, but I'm wondering who his Seiyu is and if that's, um, feels like the kind of, kind of role that they would give the, uh, the Seiyu of, oh, <sighs> never mind, they can't. Uh, Were you thinking it was the Inferno Cop? I was about to say Inferno Cop. Yeah. I mean, it could have still been, to be fair. I think he only passed away recently. Rest in uh, peace, sir. Rest in peace. If it makes you feel any better, the... Uh, yes, rest in peace. Uh, but the uh, the Japanese voice for Ignis was um, Riki uh, Koyama, who is probably best known for uh, the lead in Hajime no Ippo. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. He's, um... Very manry. Is it Ippo manry. himself, or is it... Uh, or is it the coach? It is... Uh, he's uh, Mamoru Takamura. That's the coach, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But, but he, he a manly man. Yeah, he he's gruff, he's manly, he he's here to put out the fires, and basically providing commentary for everything that's going on. Sort of... Again, I bring up the, uh, the pizzeria scene, because like, he had some really interesting things to say about the situation going on. Oh, actually... His argument there with Vulcan over who has jurisdiction. Like, that was a really interesting character dynamic moment. When he calls him an asshole, I love the way Steve calls him an asshole. Mm, yeah, it, it's wonderful. Dad said a bad word. Um, Which actually brings me to Neil Kaplan and Vulcan. I love that he is just the deliciously evil dragon character, which for those unaware, I'm I'm using the term dragon as in the um the second in command. Like, oh, he's just so good. Uh he he just drips with authority and abuse of power and like it is so so on the nose. Again, the whole freeze force thing as a metaphor for ice and the burnish as metaphor for like They are enforcing just ice. Oh god damn it. God I hate you. You're off this episode. Get out of my call. That Andrew. was that was no, actually no. Okay, look, that was that a was... good that was a good dad pun. I no. am reaching Okay, here's I'm the opening thing. the door. Andrew, I'm opening the Hang door on. and no, saying, no, no. Are you winning, son? Hang on. That pun was <laughs> not me. That was at a trigger panel when somebody was talking about a possible enemy that Inferno Cop could face one day was his rival. God damn it, Trigger. Just Ice. Oh. I can't even be mad at you. you no, you could. Because it's a good pun. You people just have no taste. Excuse me. Anyway, Patrick, you were still talking. Yeah, no, um, Vulcan was really good, and Neil Kaplan, like, I'm literally coming off of talking about Neil Kaplan in Dragon Quest, where he was just this fun sort of mentorish character, and then, which, uh, god damn it, the name, <laughs> god damn it, the name. Uh, the revelation in real time was fun. Uh, <laughs> ne needless to say, Megan, it was another Endro moment. Oh, that Endro means Enroll? Yep. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then turning it around and contrasting that here in my conversation with you guys where he's playing just one of the ultimate bad guys. Again, just the absolute representation of abusive authority. Like, it's just so good. 
so good. Um, and I can't actually say anything bad about Kari Walgren. I have never encountered a performance of hers that I haven't liked. Um, I just love the sheer amount of just injecting monster energy drink directly into her veins levels of pep. <laughs> she no no, she had she had that drink from uh from brand new animal that's only designed for animals. What, what was that? It was like uh was it a Red no, Bull? No, it was it was it was supposed to be Red Bull, but I forget what it was. Yeah, it was it was like Red Centaur or something like that. Red Minotaur. There you go. Other mythological animal. Look, I'm not saying Lucy FX has one of those shotgun keys that college frat boys shove into their beer cans. But Lucy FX does. Specifically for monster energy drinks. But I would believe it if Trigger told me that. Oh, Lucia totally does keg stands. <laughs> no, Lucia does keg stands. But the keg is Monster Energy drink. We're not looting her. We're having her do a listen acts. Here's how. Here's how you know that. Here's how you know the girl's crazy. It, when we first see her in the movie and she's controlling the fire truck, it's not like a steering wheel or a, a normal control panel. It's an arcade panel. It is literally one hand controlling the button. Listen. And the other is a joystick. She tricked that thing. And Obon Star Racers had an entire ship powered by a DDR machine. This isn't new. No, it's not, I, that's why I love it. More ships need to be powered by video game tech. Oh my god, you're right. Um, I, I love this episode. <laughs> I, I just need to say it. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, for those confused what just happened, I literally just sent them the image of the Trigger Girls. And Lucia does look very reminiscent to... Uh, She's Spring. Spring is the the blonde one. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Big titty one is Muzzle, and Trigger is Luluko, <laughs> a.k.a. Trigger. Yes. I mean, if, if you've gone to the effort to make your own animation studio, you get to recreate your favorite tropes over and over again until they stop giving you money. Oh, boy. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, so last but not least, um, Mike Pollock, whom I was a teenager in the days of Fox Box and oh god, what what did they call it when they moved over to uh the CW? I I forget, but like needless to say, I was just constantly exposed to four kids anime growing up. So it is it is an absolute delight to hear Mike Pollock in like sort of designed for adult anime kind of roles. Like, he's he's just this nurturing old guy who just wants to put an end to Kray's plans. Like, there's not a lot to his character arc. He just shows up and he's just like, yeah, I'm a computer. And he makes... <laughs> I, and he just constantly references himself as a Stop computer. Stop all the downloading. <laughs> My mom put a couple of games on it. And... That's what I was waiting for! The game, the game is Starling in the Franks, but it's butt sex. <laughs> but yeah, um, Mike Pollock was really good in a way that I can't really describe with words. He just plays off of, um, off of Leo and Gallo so well. Like, that is the strongest point of Mike Pollock's performance in this movie. It is, he plays off of everyone he interacts with so well. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and pass it on to Noah now, because I'm kind of rambly. By the way, I believe it was called the CW for kids. Okay, there we go. That's very lazy. I don't even know what CW stands for. I don't think I know either, actually. Does it mean anything? Uh, who cares? Did they just, did, did, did they get a, a Ouija board and just pick the first two letters? <laughs> when you said Ouija board, I thought you said Waluigi board. Waluigi! <laughs> I think it's <laughs> because it's owned by CBS and Warner. 
But what does the C in CBS stand for? I'm going to look this up. Continue talking. I, 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 legitimately, <laughs> I legitimately think the C in CBS is, is Waluigi, Columbia. Waluigi say Noah talk about the performances. <laughs> you go ahead and do that, Andrew. But um, so, uh, this, the problem with this episode is that we're all kind of on the same level. Uh, like, I haven't heard any discerning, like, arguments yet. And that's not going to change in uh, in this section either. Because, yeah, I also uh, agree with what Andrew and Root said about the performances for Mike, Steve, Neil, and Kari. I'll talk about Mike uh, to start with for his deus ex machina goddamn it all. Because the one thing, the, the trait that I kind of figured out I hate the most about Trigger is that they have a tendency to try to over-explain everything that goes on in all of the things they do. They, like, they come up with these grand, fantastical set pieces for their studio to animate which look great but they feel the need to justify an in-universe reason for why it's happening and it bogs down the show or the movie sometimes like let us infer let us just enjoy the spectacle we don't need to know the deep history or the scientific reason behind the magic or we don't need to know the the genetic reasoning why all this is happening exactly and the thing they do well in this movie is that they do explain about um, time, not time traveling. They're, they're, uh, going to great lengths to explain how the Burnish are going to be spun around like yo-yos to power a hyperdrive. No, no, it's not a hyperdrive. It is a jump through space. It's like a, a warp black drive. Hole. Yes, thank you. Like a black hole through space. Because that's the only way they're going to be able to get to another planet. When the Gravitron at the county fair has gone too far. Exactly. <laughs> it's terrifying. It is I, I'll give I'll give him credit. I'll give the movie credit. I have never heard of a movie or anywhere of spinning people with fire powers very fast to make ship go boom. I have never heard that before. Only Maishi. The 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 only <laughs> thing, the closest thing I've seen is that one Kids Next Door episode where they've they've harvested all the kids and are milking their their spit to be used in this like evil scientific thing where the adults have taken over the world. Thank you for saying spit because my mind went somewhere else. It's a kid's show, Megan. I know. I've been look, broken by look, anime. Kids Next Door has some has done some gross shit. Remember the eye crust episode? I actually missed that one. Andrew, please don't remind me of the pink eye episode. Mr. Warburton told a story that his wife literally went to him about that episode and was like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I'm surprised there's a Mrs. Warburton still after that show. Uh, I almost called. I almost called him Patrick Warburton. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Mr. Warburton also like a huge One Piece fan? I think he could be. I don't know. I think he's posted fan art of the Kids Next Door characters in anime styles before. Would not surprise me. So my my point was is that what was my point? My point was is that only Imaishi. Yes. Um. Mike's um portrayal of Deuce in this movie exists as a very utilitarian method. You know, let's explain to the audience how I died and basically leading into the third act. Here's the giant robot. Go have fun. And Mike does a good job in portraying the, uh, the exposition about how we got killed. He's aged sounding cause he's supposed to be an older character, but without sounding grizzled, you know, he sounds distinct from the other older actor characters in the show. In the movie. This is a show, but it's also a movie show. And it's good. It is very good. I I actually uh, did not recognize him as uh, Dr. Eggman from Sonic X, even though, like I said, Oliver had just finished watching that whole show. Just, you know, let it run in the background. So I, I heard his voice a whole lot. Heard a whole lot about 
about the crystals and about the uh, trying to take over the world and the robots that don't follow his orders and hitting on Rouge and that should probably get him arrested. But uh, in this movie, he does a very good job. Uh, Steve Bloom is a bit unrecognizable, at least compared to what he's normally known for. Because um, I'm used to, you know, the Spike Spiegel voice, the Amon voice. And it's nice to hear that he gets a chance to do something that's a little outside of that. Now, he's got the same gruffness, but it's a, it's a tiny bit higher pitched. It's like more closer to the top of the throat instead of down here in the way back part of the throat. I can't emulate that voice, but you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a shame that, that Ignis doesn't get to do much more in the movie. Um, I, I feel like the movie kind of threw us all off because if a character gets a title card with their name on it, you, we were kind of anticipating that they would be more prominent in the movie. And some of them just don't get to be, but that's okay. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like um, a side manga or some other like Promare parallel works that expands upon the universe of, of these characters after the movie's done. Um, and you guys were all right about what you said about uh, Neil Kaplan's uh, Vulcan performance. Although, one thing that I'm not sure if I'm right or not about this, um, but this is only because I know about Imaishi's big Marvel boner. Did anyone think that Vulcan kind of looked and acted and sounded a bit like the villain Venom from the Spider-Man uh, mythos? I did not think Venom. But... Mostly just the like the all-black design with the shiny... Um, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. Okay, here's what it is. He's He's got a bit of a Venom, but the reality is he's more of a MODOK. Um, yeah, I That's, can see that. Yeah. MODOK? He's literally a MODOK, because MODOK is a giant head in a giant robot fl- body. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. With, like, little tiny arms and shit. That's... I think he's getting a new animated series about his family, and uh, Patton Oswalt's gonna be in it. By the way, yes, that no. Uh, you want to talk Marvel boners, yes, Imaishi loves his Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And let's get the obvious out of, of the way. There's some X-Men similarities. I, I think you're reading too much into this, Andrew. I, I, there isn't a sink. There's no politics in this. Th- there's no politics in X-Men either. It, it's just colorful superheroes punching each other to solve their problems. Magneto literally punched a Nazi with his bare fists. That was very satisfying to, to read those panels. Mm-hmm. Let's do this the old-fashioned way. Comics are dumb, but they're also awesome. But they're also stupid, but I love them. God, God bless them for that. And Kari Walgren is really, really great. I love one little line she's got where uh, Ignis is kind of confronting her about this new uh, mech suit that she designed for Gylo. And she's being really coy about it. And she's like, I'm sorry, it's just a personal project. Like trying to hide (laughs) how absolutely into her work she is. She's just like overjoyed. Like, yes, I get to do this stupid shit today. She, she was a lot of fun to watch, and I think she got, like, just as much screen time as she needed because it, it was just the right amount of energy and levity we needed at that part in the movie. So, Megan, I'm sure you've got thoughts on these four characters. Yeah, I'll start with Ignis. Um, Steve Bloom does Steve Bloom things. I like Steve Bloom things. Um, he doesn't try to ham it up. I actually kind of really like this, like, very straight cop Ignis, especially because I was just re-watching this. I was also just coming off of a... His performance as the villain in Wolf's Reign, which is a lot. <laughs> um, That's a very extreme, Steve. It is a lot of a lot. It's a very stark difference in tonality and color palettes and character. <laughs> and facial hair. And facial hair. Don't, don't lie, Ignis is rocking a bitchin' mustache. I- Ignis is, he's got the dad handlebars. <laughs> um, 
I was going to say end music, but I'm sorry. As much as I love uh, you, Sawano, I don't think you're topping Kano and Wolf's Rain. That's like my favorite anime OST of all time now. But I really, I really enjoyed it. I do kind of feel like at some point I was like, oh, okay, this is just Steve Bloom. And maybe that's just, again, because of Ignis. Um, Kaplan is Vulcan is really interesting because I don't get to watch a lot of shit with Neil Kaplan in it. And I put Voltron Legendary Defender down because that was the last thing I remembered watching him in. And Zarkon is Zarkon and big and grumbly and very low and monstrous. And then when I also think back to Hawkmon, who sounds like a total dweeb, and I love it. So hearing him be Vulcan, who was so gleefully evil and Kaplan putting that into his performance where, like, there is no redemption for a man like Vulcan who gets off on shooting up minorities and bringing them in and flirting the law like oh yeah well harboring a burnish if there are no terrorists it's like this is a pizza man it's like yeah well you never know and just throws him in there and how he delights in like hearing the cries of the burnish and 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 vulcan's an awful person and i love the reveal that he is just a sad sad little man in the end it's satisfying yeah it's very satisfying it's very very satisfying and I'll talk more about the political aspects of this when we talk about the main actual villain of this show, of this movie. Uh, Deus, Mike Pollock. Uh, Mike Pollock is really weird where I don't have a lot of memories of watching, like, Sonic X as a kid. So for me, the weirdest thing, like, the most two recent things I've seen him in are Funimation stuff. Where he does a Russian accent, um, in one of them. And then he gets exploded by Ian Sinclair in the other. I know exactly Um. what the other is, yep. (laughs) Have you started watching that finally? I have not. I have not. I'll get to it. I promise. Um, so I really liked him as this like kind of creepy sentient robot voice, but I like that he wasn't robotic. I like that he was just kind of big and booming and older sounding and just like, yes, I know. I am a computer. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. How'd you know we were there? Bitch, I've got cameras. Was it always destined to be up? Us? No, you just happened to walk in. I love that. I do love that. That <laughs> Like, even, even even they know at that point, they're just fucking with people who are like, well, if you're going to complain about all the trigger shit, we're just going to do it anyway and say fuck you as we do Kinda, it. Kind of, yeah. I mean, they didn't have to They didn't have to lampshade the, the plot at all, but I'm glad they, they went full ham on it. Yeah, it's like, that is also my biggest criticism. It's like, when I was in the theater watching it, there were actually genuinely points in this movie that was like, damn, I did not expect this at all. That's really heavy. And there was always this thing in the back of my mind is like, at some point, this is going to become a trigger movie. Up oh, there it is. I, I, I will admit, I actually <laughs> let out a laugh in the theater when I re- realized it was aliens all along. I was like, oh, yep, I'm there like, it okay, is. okay, we're <laughs> going there, sure. We didn't, there didn't need to be a reason. Like, it didn't have to be explained as, it could have been aliens, it could have been mutants, it could have been little spaghetti people. Just, I was like, where is it? Where is it? Ah, there it is. Um, but let's talk about Kari. Um, I mean, it's not a bad performance. I'm just annoyed that they had her do the same thing as Haruko. And I'm like, okay, I get it. That's the same type of character. Can, can we Can we not? Kari is a very versatile actress. And I just feel like them shoehorning her into the performance is like kind of just like a minor gripe for me. Uh, I really like it. I really like when uh, her and... Remy tell him to Gallo to, to knock it off that uh we can't tell people to believe like what they don't want to believe even if it sucks. And just her delivery of even if it sucks is just really good. And there is nuance to the performance. I'm just also like, eh, look, it's Kari doing the screamy gremlin lady voice again. 
But, uh, again, it's not a bad performance, it's just a personal point. Yeah, so that's not really an, an issue of performance, it's a, a matter of uh, overextending the exposure of that kind of voice. It's it's not even that, it feels like Trigger specifically goes out of the way to make these characters for her seiyuu, and then they request Kari. Um, that's its own other thing. I don't think it's that actress in BNA, but there's even an English performance in BNA that sounds super, super familiar to Kari's performance, but it's not Kari. Yeah, I don't think that, that Seiyu was in BNA. No, it's the Seiyu who is Susie, that somebody told me. Oh, that, that's a really different voice. Yeah, it's it's its own thing. But in English, they have the actress who plays her, there are points where I actually got her mistaken for Kari Walker and doing a performance like this, but sultry. Yeah, that's, that's for a different episode. But that's its own thing. Yeah. That's for its own episode. Uh, but no, again, I really like this, and I really like when Kari gets to have those gremlin moments. Moments, I was just also like, oh, okay, we're doing this. Uh, so, with that being said, are we ready to move on? Yes. I'm ready for some, I, I, you know, I, I feel like we need some sister power in uh, in this uh, sausage fest. Also, just because there's no way to really uh, work this in organically, yes, CW is CBS and Warner. You're right, there was no organic way to fit that in. They're just like sisters coming together, like Ina, I, Arbite, <laughs> and, ha- and Harris. I stand corrected. Arbite. Bless you, Megan. Bless that you. That was really... That was so good. I've been molded by it. Forged by now, it. Now, uh, Megan, now, Megan, do the Sister Sister theme song. I can't. I'm too white for that. Aw. Off camera. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Ina is a member of Burning Rescue. She's essentially the aerial support unit, slash is the person who realizes that Gallo might be the most emotionally supportive himbo of all time, and yet she gets literally dropped on the ice and finds out that Callo might like might like Matoy more than Taco. Harris is Ina's older sister. She is a scientist who is working with the Foresight Foundation, and she is knowledgeable about the Warp Project the entire time. And I actually think that these two have a very interesting character dynamic and arc that actually plays out pretty organically in the movie. And frankly, talking about Harris is going to be really interesting because we have to talk about the morality of her character. Mm. Um, yes. Playing Ina is Allison Lee Rosefeld, and playing Harris is Erica Lindback. Allison Lee Rosefeld, you'll know as Kahori Harukawa in Psychic School Wars, Hazuki Kato in Liz and the Bluebird, and Bonnie in Pokemon X and Y. Mm. Erica Lindback, you'll know as Yugi Kaizuka in Aldnoa Zero, Jericho in The Seven Deadly Sins, and Ren Kogioku in Magi. Uh, Erica Lindbeck is also a giant Trigger so, fangirl. What, if you <laughs> she's specifically a huge, she's a huge Gurren Lagann fan too. The, the very first thing they asked in the interviews for the behind the scenes footage was like, what attracted you to the project? And they, they got on her first. And the very first thing she starts geeking out about how much she loved Gurren Lagann. What a fucking champ. That was satisfying to watch. The sad thing at first was that she thought that they had already cast and recorded the dub. And oh then, no! But then, uh, no, but then, but then she got her dream, and she got to be part of this, and all was good with the world. She actually has a pretty big part in this too, all things considered. Oh yeah, she won the lotto. Good for her. She won the nerd lottery. All right, so I'll start with Ina first. Ina or Artemis. Uh, first of all, I'll say this: while this movie's good for the gays, Ina's a babe too. Ida's definitely a babe too, and she's got that. She's got a very Tifa Lockhart esque design, which I think I know. Like our buddy Hardy is definitely into. Um, it's a bit of it's a bit of Tifa and it's a bit of Yoko. It's a little bit of the both. Mm-hmm. Very appealing. She's got this right level of like sass and charm to her. 
She's super fun. She's super cute. I love the scene where she and Gallo have like a moment on the ice together. It's actually like a really sweet scene. Like it's actually really like emotional and they get to be very like open with one another and like get their feelings about stuff. And it is both adorable and hilarious that the movie baited switches you. Because <laughs> they literally change the lighting of him catching her and make it look super romantic as he's leaning in and she just closes um. her she closes her eyes, puckers her lips ever so slightly. And, and then, then she, she just drops, drops her. her. <laughs> and, then she's, and then she's just like, oh, same old Gallo. Damn it, I've been clam jammed once again. <laughs> but yeah, no, Al Allison does a great job. Uh, she's got that energy, she's got that sass, and she does a really good job. And I love her dynamic with Ellis. They spell it Harris, they say Ellis. Where the f is the H sound? Where's the fing H? You know what? I'm gonna look, I'm gonna find out if this was like. Trigger likes to pull weird language quirks from no, 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 whatever no, no. language sounds Here's the thing. Look, look, look. This is another thing about Japanese things is that they have the final say when it comes to name pronunciation. And I'll say this. The good thing is they are consistent with how they say her name. They are consistent with the pronunciation. I'm just bothered that they say Ellis and they spell it Harris and it bothers me. That's all I'll say on that. But anyways, speaking of Harris, aka Ellis... Erica Lindbeck is a goddamn phenomenal actress. She is a dubious character who will do what she needs to make sure that her sister survives the Covenant. I love the emotional, like, strain in her voice when she is talking to Gallo and Gallo's like, your, your sister is not gonna forgive you for this. And she's like, I don't care. As long as my sister survives, I'll do what needs to be done. Before realizing, yeah, her boss is kind of a terrible person and he's willing to do whatever it takes to over humanity and the world itself before turning turncoat and sabotaging the whole project. I love how, like, emotionally, like, conflicted she is. I love when she's confronting Cray and Cray turns off her, her mic and she's like, you turned off my mic, didn't you? It's like, no, <laughs> it was an attack from outside. You know what must be done. I understand. And I love this coldness in her voice and this, like, level of sad warmth when she's embracing Ina. It's like, you're gonna get a call. I need you to be on that ship. Please do it for me. And she actually does a wonderful, like, emotional performance. But yeah, no, she is a very dubious character. And I think that's really interesting. And Erica Lindbeck, I'd say, of the not top three cast, is definitely the strongest and most notable performance. And Erica Lindbeck is living the weeb dream, and I'm proud of her. I think both Allison and Erica do a great job as the Inabet sisters. I'm done. Ah, okay. I was like, G.I. Joe reference, where'd it go? Oh, uh... Did you lose it? Are you winning, son? <laughs> Are you cake, son? Are you burnished, son? <laughs> Arson. God. <sighs> There's our boy. <laughs> All right, so the uh, Artemis sisters are actually really interesting and sort of, I honestly kind of think that they are the moral polars of, of the movie. You know, the poles of morality. Mm -hmm. um, Ina is, I, I feel like she's thirsty for Gallo. Like, no. No uncertain really? terms there. She wants to ride his disco stick. She wants to climb that fire ladder, play with his hose. 
Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Gallo, get over here and extinguish my flame. But yeah, I like that she's the one person in Burning Rescue who can just knock sense into Gallo. Um, I really like their scene at the frozen lake bed, where he's basically explaining to her, you know, how he found the place. Um, maybe I'll have a little bit more to say about that when we actually get to Gallo here in a minute. Um, but I love how conflicted she is, especially when she starts to learn of what is actually going on with Ellis and this whole project she's doing. Um, also, Ellis herself and the morality conflict she has with actually learning that she's using the light force of the burnish in order to create this portal that's supposed to take them to another world. Um, I, I think they're really interesting characters who kind of skirt their own morality lines and, you know, start to learn more things about themselves as this whole conflict erupts. And um, I think Allison did a really good job, you know, portraying the sort of protective... Oh, I don't know the word. Um, like, she's protective of Gallo, basically. And Ellis, in her own roundabout way, and Erica Lindbeck playing her, um, kind of has sort of the same thing toward Ina. Like, it's just really interesting stuff to watch. Um, honestly, I like the performances. It's just... I'm trying to find ways to, to sort of frame what I feel about the character arcs themselves. Here, here's um, a question, Roots. Yeah. Do you believe that Ina and Ellis are similar to Anna and Elsa from Frozen? My why? Why are you like this? Why are you like this? <laughs> why are you booing me? I'm right. You know what? I groan at that, but at the same time, I can't say that you're wrong i legitimately don't think that was intentional i'm pissed off about this but you know yeah. what here's the thing that's oh uh, there's andrew's catchphrase thank uh, you okay look <laughs> okay he here's the thing i wasn't even going to talk about a, a disney reference it just hit me as i'm watching this because lindbeck is a big gurn lagan fan you know what character that Ellis reminds me of? Keenon. Hmm. She reminds me of Keenon. Uh, the middle Keaton sibling, a.k.a. Stephanie Shea, a.k.a. Uh, Rosius plus one. Okay. She's got glasses. She's a bit of a cold scientist person who will do what she will have to for the sake that the people she love and care about can survive the impending end of the world. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's very similar now that I think about it, yeah. But yeah, I, I just, in general, like both of the performances, um, I, I like how they're able to play both sides of the characters' moralities, and, like, it's just interesting stuff. You can go ahead, Noah. She's just a science girl. Getting to another world. She took the Noah. burnished flame going anywhere. Noah. I'm upset. Corner. I'm upset that that works. Andrew, <laughs> you can leave the corner. Noah, get the hell in the corner. Yes, man. That's where I belong. This corner was made for me. Calm down there, Junji Ito. God. Andrew, you're free from the corner. Come over here and have a juice box. Yay! Juice box. <laughs> At least give the man a pizza. <laughs> He's got to work his way up to that. The pizza's still in the oven. He's got to wait for it. I actually it. have pizza waiting for me downstairs after this, so cool. Damn. 
You wonder what's really bad when you say I have pizza? What? If they're in love, why does the pizza man keep spanking the babysitter? <laughs> if you what? know what that's what? from. <laughs> I don't, but that's just hilarious. I'm not saying what it is on recording, because I want the people in the comments to figure out what that's from, but when you when I, I tell you what it is, you'll all be did pissed. Did somebody order a pizza? Yeah, but I don't have any money. <laughs> then why did, did you order a pizza? <laughs> Does it come with an extra large sausage? I, I'll save that one for the next section because it's that their entire relationship in a nutshell. Um, Noah, if you can go ahead, I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so dead inside. I'm just that John Travolta gif right now, just from Pulp Fiction. Just, what? Where? Wh I don't get this. To all your references, I don't get them. But that's okay because they make me laugh, so I'll live with it. These characters. All right. In all seriousness, I don't have uh, qualms with these two either. Um, I, I was hoping that once we get to the, the higher characters that I have more um, qualms with either the acting or their role in the movie. Um, I don't have any with Allison or Erica. Um, Allison, when we first are introduced to her, she is the only other girl character in the in the group. Um, but I, I like that um, they cast Allison, um, her voice, to basically contrast Kari's voice. Because Kari is the pepper chippier voice and then you got allison who's got her more mature commanding voice and she really gets to stretch uh, her chops at the pizza scene because she starts like really um getting sh on the shouty side when um they try to take the pizza guy away oh i forgot about that yeah no when she like stands up for him and she's citing law yeah and i mean the, the really evil thing about vulcan is not just the fact that he's an advocate for um imprisoning minorities it's the fact that the other patrons of the pizza place uh are like disgusted when they find out that their pizza was made by a burnish so they share his uh his beliefs that all burnish should basically be eliminated as soon as possible that that, that is the banality of evil unfortunately people racial prejudice yeah remember when when the good people say nothing the bad guys win mm -hmm. but you know what else is really bad just something i don't like introducing a character ass first to the camera that is something that i don't think that we should do and that's what they did with Ina. That's true. They introduced her. And that's the first thing I wrote. Because she's got, like, a flying machine. She's got... She, I, I, the thing about the, fi the, the burning rescue is that they all have what I feel like would be a really good toy line of, like, vehicles. And Ina's got the cool flying flying thing. Yeah. And, and she makes good use of it because she's basically a rescue vehicle. Uh, it's got space for rescuing a bunch of people. But can't introduce a female lead character without doing the Darling of the Frank style introduction of the character. Luckily, that's as sexual as she really gets in the rest of the movie. The, the whole movie is incredibly cheesecake-free, honestly, for such a man-retastic kind of movie. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, if you think about it, though, it's kind of light on the cheesecake. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of beefcake to go around. Oh, absolutely. Oh. It, it, is, it is hot, roasted. Where's so getting there yes we will and so i'm glad that the two sisters are um are respectable members of their particular career like the fact that they're women who are high up in whatever field they're in is not played as a joke or something to mock that's that's it's sad that that has to be commended but it's just because it's so unique in anime unfortunately so i'm glad that they you know played that up in this and like I said, Elson's really good as uh, Ina, and Erica is really good as uh, Ellis. Um, she's soft and compassionate, which is also a good contrast to Ina's uh, more confrontational, uh, yeah, her confrontational voice. Uh, she also offers a good explanation of basically what they're doing. 
you know, it's okay if we get a little wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey with the science in this. And I, I like that they did that. Like, they actually didn't just make up uh, bullshit science for this. You really can find scientific theories that are about warp technology. And they have found planets that are similar enough to Earth, but they're just too far away that we couldn't get to them in our lifetime. So people who are concerned about, you know, getting to a new planet, that that's a real legitimate concern. It's one of 20 things that they're juggling in this movie, but the astronomy person in me uh, quite enjoyed that. Omega Centauri is also a real, like, cluster, by the way. Yeah, the wording on here is the stars and the constellations and the galaxies are rooted in what actually exists. We don't have uh, people who burn fire from aliens that could get us there just yet, but other than that, the science is mostly sound. To quote Gurren Lagann, all the lights in the skies are stars. I mean, no. No, some of them are planets. Well, actually, some of the light from the sky are from planets, not from stars. Thank you very much. Okay, shut the <laughs> up. <laughs> I couldn't not say it! Someone in the comments was going to correct me if, if I didn't. All right. It's better than that than where it's better than that than where's the full movie. You know what? True. True. Yeah, pl please people, if you've gotten this far in the episode and you still want to make that comment, please don't. But um yeah, no no qualms, no qualms with Elson and Erica. I will save my fun things to say for the next group. Megan, your turn. Oh, the next group is going to be hysterical, y'all. <laughs> yes it is. Uh, so, I'll start with Ellis, actually. I really like this performance out of Erica Limbeck. Erica Limbeck is an actress, I think, that can do a lot of things, and her range has constantly impressed me over the last, like, five years that I've been watching her work from. Uh, her characters, such as uh, Saber of Red and Apocrypha, who is a very gritty tomboy, uh, to Ellie in Love Live, which is, uh, I got to do the movie for that, so this is the second time I actually got to talk about her and uh, celebrate the movies at once. Um, or Jericho, who is this kind of, like, older kind of girl voice. But, uh, Ellis is just so quiet and soft and just... Part of me feels like Ellis is a little dead inside. And that part of her has died is just that... It's not that she's unloving, it's that her love of her sister has become something so fierce that she's willing to sacrifice the health and well-being and safety of others to do that. Because the other thing, too, about this whole thing of the burnish being used as basically human fuel is that the project is only going to save... It was 10,000 people, and it's basically implied that it's 10,000 of the people who could pony up. So it wasn't like the people at the the pizza the pizzeria who were like, Ew, a burnish made this, we're ever going to get on that ship. Hell, I don't think people like Ignis or... Remy or Varys or Lucia were gonna make it on there. God knows we all know Gallo f it wasn't. We all know Gallo f it wasn't. <laughs> what are we about? Well, well, we gotta repopulate the planet. You gotta have some testosterone on that ship. I'm sorry, Gal. The only thing Gallo is repopulating is Leo's ass. Oh, um, come on. Andrew, I need you to go on to AO3 and of those explicit Gallo fics, I need you to pare them down to ABO dynamics. <sighs> Don't do, do it. I I will do it. I have time to kill. Just continue on. So I think that Erica having to play this character where she knows that she's doing stuff that is morally reprehensible, but has to live with the fact that of her own logic, that is, I'm doing this for my sister. But also she also has to play it partially that she has been duped by Cray because she doesn't know that Cray murdered Deus. And is doing this for his own game, nor does she know that about Cray himself, which is, we'll get into the next section. 
So I really want to applaud Erica for having to play a character like that with so much nuance and subtlety in a movie that has little to no nuance and subtlety. Okay, little to no subtlety, this movie does have nuance. Um, and then Ina, Allison is again an actress I'm not super familiar with. I don't watch Pokemon anymore. I am not the market for the Pokemon anime. Uh, I just know that Ash finally fucking won a championship, but he got totally job in the Kalos region where Bonnie is from. Um, oh my God. that's the story, right? He got jobbed in Kalos. Oh, Jesus, did he get jobbed? Did he, did they have two legendaries? No, that's Sinnoh. No, they, in, in the Kalos stuff, they introduce a character in the side story. There, there are like little side story episodes that aren't counted as numbered in, you know, the XY chronology in Japan. This guy shows up at the Kalos League, completely tears Ash to shreds, and then Team Flare shows up and fucks everything up. And then, like, three of Ash's Pokemon stay in Kalos, and he brings nothing back with him. Ash got jobbed. <laughs> X and Y suck. Let's be real. Sun and moon, good. Um, <laughs> Allison did a really good job playing Ina. She was very upbeat and stuff, and I really like how she kind of, I think, adapted a lot of Gallo's actors' uh, steadfast optimism into her performance by the end of the movie. Because Ina is a good person, and Ina is morally centered. I just- God, you just feel so bad for her getting clam-jammed. Um, but I, I was really impressed by Allison's performance, especially as an actress that I'm not super familiar with. So, really great job there. Alright, let's let's end this off with a bang. And speaking of ABO dynamics, I will tell you, <laughs> for Promare, I found 34. Good God. Um- there are people in the comments going, Megan, why do you know what that is? There, there are people on this podcast wondering how you know what that is. I'll explain to you after. Anyway, let's talk about our last three characters who are the central uh, characters to this film. Cray Foresight! Boo. He is a politician and a businessman. Get off the stage. <laughs> he is a politician and a businessman who, quote unquote, saved Gallo's life when he was a child. Therefore, Gallo looks up to him and always wanted to be him. In truth, he is a burnish who accidentally went wild and Gallo ran into his arms. He used that moment to start his empire and eventually tried to use his own kind as fossil fuel to save 10,000 people because, boy howdy, I will get in- I will fucking get into that. Um, I will- I will let you get the floor for all of the analysis about Cray Foresight. Oh, I want to talk about this! Uh- Leo Fotia is the leader of the Mad Burnish, according for 30 years, but he looks like a little boy. <laughs> Don't worry, he's not. Um, he is the leader of the Mad Burnish, who essentially is actually kind of a pacifist. The Mad Burnish don't kill it unless they have to. They only set the fires to answer the voice inside of him, telling him to burn things. Um, but in truth, he is a good person. He only wants to stop the oppression of the Burnish because in their mind, they are still human. They still do need food. They are alive. Galatimos is a himbo. Um, you couldn't describe him in any other way except the word himbo. It's... Yep. It's legal. It's legal. I'm legally obligated. Now, Galatimos is the our lead character. He is the rookie of Burning Rescue. He's a big idiot with a bigger heart and a bigger moral compass who actually kind of has to learn not to be racist. Um, it's true. Which, Just learned about racism. True. Shit sucks, Fuck's man. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I don't think of Gallo. I think of fucking Dimitri from Three Houses. Um, which is really funny knowing Roots and Mind's main ship from that game. So, playing Cray Foresight is Crispin Freeman. Playing Leo Fotia is Johnny Young Bosch. And playing Galatimos is Billy Kometz. 
Crispin Freeman, you'll know as characters such as Sume and Wolfsrame, Zelgadis, Greyswords in the Slayers franchise, and Haji, the Sebastian that you wish Sebastian from Black Butler was <laughs> in Blood Plus. Come and fucking fight me in the comments. I'm sorry, if you've seen Blood Plus, Haji is Sebastian, but better, and not potentially a Shotokan. Johnny Young Bosch, you'll know his characters as Chakuro in Children of the Whales, Ryunosuke Uru in Fate Zero, and Sabo in One Piece Stampede. Billy Komet shall know his characters such as Anai in Agretzko, Mika in Drifting Dragons, Mikhail in Sirius the Jaeger, and because I have been cupping his wonderful, wonderful titties this entire <laughs> podcast. He is also Ferdinand von Eyer in Fire Rumble in the Three Houses. To which, if you actually go to Billy Komet's Twitter, that is his entire Twitter bio. Wait, is it? Hang on, I need to actually... It is- it I is- am I Ferdinand- Okay, Gallo is the banner, but his bio is I am Ferdinand von Eiger. It's von Eiger, by the way. Perfect. Yeah. Noah, Noah, if I had to explain Ferdinand von Eiger as a character, mm-hmm. he's a less himbo Gallo who is also a horse girl. Oh. I, I love the way you describe these things. There- okay, there, okay, there's like, um- <laughs> There, there's puzzle pieces in my brain that are trying to fit themselves together with the words. You, like I know you used words, and I know they mean stuff, but they don't make. They don't. They fit. don't connect in your brain. The, 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 in in the electric company here, those two things don't make a solid sentence together. That they, they. It's like trying to imagine what. He is a less himbo gallo who is also a horse. The brain. Right. Can, no. 404 air file not found. And his favorite horse may or may not be a dirty vampire man played by Robbie Damon. Okay. I think Andrew needs There to... is there's no there is no organic segue from this. Let's just, let's just move on. <laughs> I'm not sorry for for putting my furdy bird agenda into this episode. Andrew, please talk. I'm sorry, Ferdy Bird? That's Ferdy Bird! Ferdinand Hubert mushed together! That's the ship name! <laughs> I, I miss doing this. Okay. So Let's start with Cray Foresight! Cray Foresight! Okay, so, do you guys like Crispin Freeman? Oh, yes. Yes. Do you guys like Crispin Freeman acting? Yes. Yeah. Do you also like Crispin Freeman taking a golden plate of ham, chewing it till the cows come home? Go on. Well, here ya go. Cray Foresight. He is stern, strict, and deliciously hammy. He is the right level of political authority, charisma, corrupt politician, menacing overlord, and kooky sad am villain man. <laughs> he is all of that and somehow actually believable. It's like, here's the thing. I don't believe they really actually dumbed this down as much as they think they did because it's all of what Cray Foresight is, is actually laid out pretty clearly from a couple of rewatches. He is a good politician. He is a stealth minority who is using his own authority to try and be better. Instead of fixing the planet, he's... Okay, right. Political stuff. All I'm just gonna say is, God, I love the part where he gets so fucking goofy, evil, maniacal, and he starts yelling at Billy for going full ham, and he's like, Stop making up! STUPID NAMES! And then proceeds to make his own stupid names and then scream and cackle and yell maniacally. Holy sh**, Craig Crispin Freeman's chewing the scenery and he does a goddamn good job being an evil all might. Yep. I hate you, I forgot that he's, he's just evil all might. That's uh, right down to the smile. Like, right down to the smile. Uh, Leo Fotia. 
Johnny Young Bosch. He's a veteran actor. He's doing what Johnny Young Bosch is good at. But I'd also argue, god damn it, the highlight of his performance in this movie is definitely the moment I fell in love with this movie. The dragon. No, that's the moment where I fell in love with this movie. The moment I fell in love with the movie is where it transitions. And then you hear his theme song. When he is literally so angry, he breaks out of an impenetrable cold bullet, tears it out, breaks it open, and explodes in the coolest fashion and becomes an evil oh, flaming yeah. dragon while Kakuse is playing. And it's the moment where I'm like, oh my god, watching that in a theater, I'm like, It's, it is that moment. It's like, it's watching the My Hero movies. It's watching Goku versus Broly and Super Broly. It's that moment of cool. My foot is tapping along. I become a 12-year-old in a movie theater shaking my popcorn, and it's the best. Oh, God, it's so good. But yeah, no, Johnny Bosch, he's really good. He's a fantastic uh, Leo Fotia. He does a great job doing the level of emotion, anger, sincerity, and, like, cool factor to Leo Fotia. Billy Comets as Galotimos. In my humble opinion, the best performance in this dub. Say what? The best performance in this dub. In my humble opinion. And it is also, I don't think it is my favorite Billy Comets, but he's definitely top three. He is a wonderful, well-meaning moron. I love how he talks about his burning firefighter spirit where he's doing his whole thing about the thing from a far island nation, and he's doing his thing, oh, I will face you, you mad burnish bastards, and it's just that level of ham and charm, and it's great. I also love those moments he gets to cool flirt with Leo Fotia before you even know they're gonna bone, where he says, you know, I didn't get naked just for fun, you know. Like, you, you could just hear the sexual tension just running off of that. He's got this great charm and sincerity. He wears his entire heart on the sleeve that he doesn't have. <laughs> He's corny and cheesy, but full of this right level of machismo spunk. And he also can be a total hunk. Like, when, he, when he's on the ice with Ina, he's actually like, you should be proud, because you're you, Ina. He's, like, actually kind of a romantic when he wants to be. He's just too stupid to really realize he's a romantic. <laughs> I wouldn't say he's stupid. He's just laser-focused on his one ambition that he has no room to, fo to focus on anything else. I also think something I didn't appreciate when I first watched this movie, and I got on the several times I rewatched this for this episode, is he's actually really good at being empathetic and really dramatic. Like, when he learns the truth about the burnish... When he's confronting Ellis, and he's basically saying, you know your sister's not gonna learn with this. But I think my favorite delivery from him when he's being very sincere is when he gets broken out because Leo does his rampage. And he sees Dragon Leo, he's just like, in this most sincere emotional tone. Is that Leo? That fire. Is he crying? And just the sweet sadness in his voice. It's so good. And then he proceeds to be a wonderful, badass, shonen himbo boy. <laughs> and he gets to be so cool, and he's great. And also, canonically, canonically, Galotimos is a bratty bottom. As I said when I was watching this with Stephanie, he literally can't get it up until Leo does the thing. Literally cannot get it up until Leo does the thing. And then he's like, yo, I'm ready 
to go. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, God. I also just love what he says. I'm the universe's number one firefighting idiot. Like, that was the last line of the movie, and it was great. It's so good. Holy. Like, Billy Kometz is a fantastic actor. Like, he is still a relative newcomer compared to a couple of veterans in this cast, but goddamn, this boy's going far, and he's f***ing perfect as Galotimos. Congratulations, you beautiful himbo mother. I also love when he snores when he's getting exposition to death. I thought that was fun. I just didn't know how to get this. Anyways, Billy Kometz is really good. I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm talking too long. I'm sorry. 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 No, that was that was downright inspiring. I don't think yeah. anyone here loves the movie more than you do, Andrew. Yeah, no, no, Andrew loves this movie more than me, the girl who keeps buying Promare. Okay, <laughs> look, look, I love this movie. The LGBT community has earned the rights to this movie, especially the fact that this movie is nothing but bisexual lighting. Yep, it's all purples and blues, boys. Mm -hmm. It's all even the fire. Wait, it's all bisexual. Always has been, says the gays. <laughs> hey guys, you know, it's funny. These people go to sleep, they think everything's fine, everything's cool. Then they wake up the next day and they're on fire. G.I. Joe! <laughs> 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 I gotta keep you guys on your toes. You came into this one with a game plan, and I'm proud of you. I'm more proud of him. Uh, Crispin Freeman as Cray Forsythe. Um, I love all the bravado Crispin Freeman gives him in the first, I want to say, like, 45 minutes to an hour of the film. But what I love more, and you know it's coming from the second they introduce him, is when the mask slips. And he's revealed to actually be... Oh, yeah, because he, he just has this face of, like, <sighs> I hate you people. Yeah, when it's ultimately revealed and the mask slips and Gallo learns the entire truth, that bravado, that machismo is suddenly converted into this just air of malice. And it's just absolutely, it's so good. And, you know, it, it's Christopher Freeman. He's going to be standing there chewing the scenery and then he's going to spit it back out and start chewing it up again. And I, I got to say, um, for both... Billy and Johnny Young Bosch um, playing against him in their their particular roles, which I'll have more to talk about in just a sec. Like, it's just really good. And then Johnny Young Bosch basically playing this sort of calm, nurturing figure to the burnish. I, I, I really like it. And then, like, like Andrew said, the scene in the volcano where he's trying to remove the ice bullet. He's screaming and all this, and the volcano blows up and it forms his face, and just that whole scene is just, uh, it's so good, so good, and him just um, flying around the city in his dragon form, burning everything up, yelling out, "Cray Forsyth!" <laughs> like I, I really like Leo's Berserker mode. Like, it's good stuff. And, like, in the end of the film where he warms up to Gallo... Technically, he warms him up. This whole trio is just... I like it so much. But let's get to Billy. He is just the lovable doof. It's like Trigger got the textbook definition to the word himbo before the word himbo <laughs> really was a thing. And they just built a character from the ground up based on that. And... Honestly, Noah, to understand what a himbo is, 
All you need to know is that they are lovable doofuses who drink respect women juice in pint glasses. Mm -hmm. Now, at first when I heard that term, the first image that came to my mind was like the Johnny Bravo stereotype. But Johnny Bravo does not respect no. women, so that doesn't qualify. Uh, no, no, no. They're anti-Johnny. No, I'd actually argue that he kind of does. I mean, he's stupid enough, but I don't think his heart is in the right place. No, a himbo is less of a Johnny Bravo and more of a Launchpad McQuack. <laughs> oh my god. Man, we are just <laughs> on childhoods tonight. Why'd you, why'd you have to hurt that hard? Look, in, look me in the eye, Noah, and tell me that I am wrong. I can't. That's what's wrong. Because Launchpad does respect <laughs> women very much, and he is dumb as a bag of rocks. God damn I, it. I'd also say Kronk from Emperor's New Groove is another uh, himbo definition as well. Mm, except yes. except he's not sexualized. It's 11.30 at night and we're debating on Disney characters <laughs> being himbos. We have officially started simping for the mouse. God damn it. Vinny, 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 Vinny. Also Hercules. Okay, we could spend the whole episode. We could spend this whole episode going through the canon. Maybe the prince from Snow White was a himbo. Maybe one of the seven dwarves. No, he's was a, a twink. I, we could do this all night. <laughs> we could. Listen, we dopey, don't... dopey, OG himbo. There you go. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> you fight me. Congratulations, Walt's frozen head is spinning in a cellar. <laughs> But getting back to the subject at hand, um, Billy Comets just gives off the big himbo energy. He's just such a lovable doof. And like Andrew was saying, the whole scene where, um, where Deus is explaining everything about the Burnish and their origins to him. And he's just falling asleep in the middle of the explanation. Like, that is a big mood for any info dump scene in an anime. I, I, I just love the way he's like, oh, well, what was that? <laughs> And, and just Gallo and Leo's interactions and Billy and Johnny just being bros. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So, yeah, uh, Noah, you might as well just go ahead now because I'm just going to keep getting rambling. I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you gush when we get to our final thoughts. There we go. Um, Again, I'm not going to disagree with your guys' um, assessments. Here's a problem about talking about the dub of this, and I only realized it about halfway through this podcast. This dub is really good. And there's <laughs> <laughs> here's the problem. It's really good. I, I have no flaws in this. Right. That's that's the problem. I love episodes where you know we can we can pick at least certain characters and you know like uh, I didn't like Andre from Prison School or no I loved Andre from Prison School. Like there's no character like that in this dub. Everyone is consistently really good, sounds succinct from one another, and brings what the the character needed for this dub. And that, that Vinny was pretty problematic though. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he would say those things and eat that hot dog. Well, I mean he is from New York, so you know. It's different under the sewers, you know. <laughs> That, that that R rated TMNT uh, cartoon just n it never saw a live day for a reason. I mean, you <laughs> April Neil once. Okay, so on to the characters talking about. <laughs> <laughs> with the um, what, what was I going to talk about here? I was going to talk about um, uh, with Christopher Freeman. I was just going to say that um, it, it's like with um Steve Bloom. It's nice to hear him do something a little different from what I'm used to him hearing. Um, for the first half of the movie. For the first half of the movie, he plays a very un-Crispin kind of role. You know, this very um, fatherly kind of voice. Because usually, uh, Crispin plays uh, the eye candy, the f*** 
boy, the one who is really a, a snack for the audience. And he doesn't really get to be that until, and I wrote this down, the 46 minute mark is exactly where the switch flips for Cray, and we see his true persona really shining through. And I understood then, oh, that's why they cast Alucard. That's why they cast Sume. That's why they got Crispin Freeman. And it fits really well. It's exactly the the believable kind of awful human being that um, this movie was going for. It, it wasn't just a Skeletor evil, because, um, uh, Andrew, you mentioned, yeah! you mentioned Sat AM villain. It's a guy who, who's doing all the things that he's doing because he legitimately thinks it will save humanity. And he, he's not wrong, exactly. Um, he, you know, he's, like, he's like a fusion between Magneto and Lex Luthor. Okay, that that's that's fair enough. Um, like I don't think Lex is redeemable. Um, but Lex is smart, and so is Cray. And his um, he's assessing like the thing that will get the job done with the resources that we have available and the time we have to work with. And you know, given given the the world is about to burn up from the Promare, I I can understand where he's coming from, and that that's what makes Crispin's performance just all that much more fun to listen to. Moving on to Johnny Young Bosch. Um, I was honestly surprised. I thought he was going to be Gallo uh, when I heard that he was in this movie, just based on the character design. But honestly, he plays Leo the best. And I think Johnny is the best performance in this. Um, you know, Billy is very good. Johnny just had a lot more material to work with, um, especially because like every line he speaks, it's like he's carrying the weight of the entire burnish on his shoulders. Like he, he holds the, uh, the humanity and the suffering that they're going through in every line he speaks. And that is really refreshing to listen to because, you know, originally watching the movie at first, you're kind of pegging the burnish for just being these troublesome individuals who don't have any reason for existing and they're just causing mayhem. Ooh, actually, hang on. Before you continue, I just thought of something. Uh, the difference between Leo Fotia and Cray Foresight. Cray Foresight is asking for a lighter burden. Leo Fotia is asking for broader shoulders when it comes to the burnish. Hmm. That is true. That, you're right. That is absolutely, uh, that's accurate. Now, obviously, you, you can draw a comparison between the burnish and the LGBT community. And Leo has a really great set of lines um, talking about, and I did write this down. <clears throat> It's not about fun. The flames are part of us. We have to burn in order to live. Which is like just one rewrite away from being that one line in X-Men 2 where a mom asks one of the mutants, have you tried not being a mutant? It's like a little on the nose for um, LGBT community as well. So, you know, the burnish are basically something that doesn't fit in with people's normal societal expectations, but they're still human. And so they don't have to change. Why should they have to change? And that's why Johnny's performance of Leo is just really, really well done. Like, he gets the character really well. And yes, the dragon scene was beautiful. I think I even wrote down on my notes how I, I was just glad to watch the movie stop trying to be smart for a minute and just enjoy that volcano explosion. That was really great. And I also like, you know, as we're going to talk about animation, I don't love all the animation in this movie. I think uh, the frenetic energy is a little hard to keep track of at some points. Like in that final fight scene, it's kind of hard to tell what's even going on between the two mechs. 
but when we do see Deus Ex Machina, and we see, like, the, the two characters, we see Gallo and Leo combine together, and we get this glorious moment. I, in my head, I was just shouting, Hashinitati ga, and the, like, Konomegana Konoma, Konomune wa takshi kanata teru kara. I have the lyrics in front of me. I was gonna say, <laughs> you ha you sound like you have the <laughs> lyrics. You planned this, you f <laughs> I don't have I, I don't have the the song memorized, but you know how it goes. You know how the beat goes. I remember, and I know it sounds very eerily similar to the beat of Gozik. Yes, it does. So yeah, Johnny's really good, and I'm just gonna parrot what you guys both said about Billy. He, it's nice to hear uh, an up and coming voice. Like I know he's done other stuff before, but he was well cast for this. And watching some of the behind the scenes footage where he was kind of explaining how he got into the character and balancing the different personality traits. Billy did a good job, and I, I honestly, I liked Billy's Gallo more than I like Kyle Haybear's Kamina. I'll just put that out there. Which, uh, which, can I just say, I'm glad Gallo isn't Kamina. Kamina. <laughs> I'm also no. glad that it wasn't Kyle, that Gallo wasn't Kyle. They're not exactly, like, they've got a lot of the same energy, but I feel like, you know, Kamina feels like he's a bit on the older and the more uh, self-centered side, whereas Gallo is, uh, more concerned about helping others. Gallo has survival instincts. Yes. Ouch. <laughs> um, ow. Uh, <laughs> he's also got good CPR skills. <laughs> Unlike Seabone. <laughs> Let's be real, we all know the person who had the real killer CPR skills was Yoko. <sighs> it's all about that chest capacity. I haven't seen I haven't seen the whole show yet. Man, you really gotta watch Girls Like Gone. Okay. I, I've got it on my shelf, but it, it doesn't have the dub on it. Wow. It, it's the it's the sub only Bondi release. I did, did not know there was a sub only release. That's oh that's how I got it so cheap. Oh yeah. It is here. Let me grab it. it it's in three volumes, and it's is it by Aniplex? No, Bondi. No, no, it Bondi's was a Bondi before Aniplex. Anyway. Well, no, Aniplex has a name on it, but that's not the point. The point is, is Megan, you're going to tell us about your himbo, his boyfriend, and Crispin Freeman. <laughs> Crispin Freeman. Uh, I'll start with Cray, actually, because Cray is a really fascinating character to me. Um, I hate, I don't hate to bring up politics in this show, in this movie, because the movie does it itself and invites it to it. Um, like, seriously, there is something about your main villain being a member of the minority group who decides to not only lie about being one, but then takes it upon himself to personally oversee their persecution um, for the express purpose of actively experimenting on them, raiding them as they hide out in camps, and then explicitly trying to use their bodies to create a better world that doesn't have them while still remaining as the only one of his kind. Um, that's some pretty f***ed up sh uh, I have notably called Curry Foresight Ben Carson before. Yep. To which I'm not going to explain that. But I think that Crispin plays this character well. And you can always, we can talk about how, oh my god, it's so over the top. It's so hammy. But remember that that was, from that quote earlier, that was their way of trying to dumb this character down. Which I don't think that Cray as a character needed to be dumbed down. Especially when, hello, they, they literally reused this twist in another anime. And it's not like it's a twist that hasn't been done before. Where, oh no, the villain has been part of the minority the entire time. Um, I do really enjoy Christmas performance. I think it does have that bravado and tension in it. And I love the absolute venom that's coming out of his mouth where he talks about how Gallo has been the one thing in his life that he couldn't control. That, 
All of this was according to Keikaku, but the only <laughs> wrench in his Keikaku was just Gallo being Gallo. Um, it, it, I will not lie that there are the part where he tells them to test the engine and get it ready, the Parnassus project up and ready to go. And there's that just shot of the hall where all the burnish are loaded into and they just start spinning and you just all start hearing them cry out at once. Like, actually gave me chills in the theater when I saw it the first time. And I think that that's the thing I like about Christmas Performance of Cray is that there are parts of it that are legitimately chilling. Where, like, yeah, this guy is kind of this big over-the-top villain and he's screaming about how all this new technology is gonna be there to help the world and then you just have billy as gallo with this naive hope in his voice going if you could solve all these problems for the new world why didn't you just try to help this one and that is really good social commentary in my opinion just to have your main character who has lived this life that in his mind gallo has a lot to go through because essentially he has his entire hero worship blown up in his face and Gallo as a character is overtly masculine while not having a lot of toxically masculine traits. Like, when he gets angry, he doesn't blow up things. He goes to cool off out on the ice. Um, when Leo is upset, Gallo pushes him out so that he won't hurt people. When he's confronted with the idea that his own bigotry is not correct, he doesn't dig down his heels into his bigotry and I think Billy's performance really captures that where I think a lot of Gallo's hatred or and I don't even think he hates it but his inherent biases are not born out of a spirit of he was raised by Cray to hate the Burnish. No he lives in a society that believes the Burnish are bad but he himself is naive to it and and I really like that you did bring up that whole scene where after Vulcan arrests the guy all those people start throwing out the pizza because they think it's disgusting now. But in truth, the real disgusting people in the movie are not the guy that would be making the pizza. It's the people like Vulcan and Cray who are willing to not only sacrifice the Burnish, but to them, the Burnish are no different than the people throwing away the pizza made by the Burnish. None of them are getting on that <laughs> boat. None of them at all. And I really do like Billy's performance in this. The only reason I was a little bit sour on it, I guess, the first time I heard it was it is very, very similar to me to his performance as Josuke in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4. It's a very similar tone. Which, if you want to know my favorite Billy, that is my favorite Billy. Yeah. Also, B, uh, this Billy Comet's performance was robbed at the Crunchyroll Awards. This is the one that he should have won for last year. Fight me in the comments. Um, seriously, just Crunchyroll, stop trying to act like you like dubs. We know you don't. Um... But even then, Billy isn't my favorite performance in this movie. It's actually Johnny Bosch's Leo. I absolutely adore Johnny Bosch's Leo. He is not who I thought was going to be this character, and I didn't know if it was going to work. And it isn't like softer spoken Johnny characters don't exist. Makoto from Free exists. Um, his character in this reminds me a lot of what I really liked because I had also recently watched it for the first time. Uh, his performance as Kiba in Wolf's Ring. Oh, yeah. It's a much more subtle, nuanced performance, but where Kiba has moments where he lets loose, he doesn't let loose as hard as Leo. And I absolutely fucking love Dragon Leo in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> I, I love demon and monster design, so shoot me. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Um... But it's 2020. We're, we're, we're well into the year of the furries, the monsters, and your sexuality. That's okay. Uh, no, but there's something about the way that Leo speaks where he doesn't speak like he's better than somebody else. He speaks like somebody who doesn't want to fight, who's tired of having to keep fighting. And 
there's this level of just, I guess, disappointment and, and anger when they're in that cave towards the beginning of the movie where they have the food and he flicks the fire on him, but Gallo kind of does that big, like, wow, I didn't even know the burnished eat human food. And they're like, we are human still. He, he kind of, sounds kind of hurt. Like, did you seriously just, not think they we ate? ate? Like, I know Noah said that he saw the burnish as like LGBT. To me, the burnish always read as immigrants and minorities. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. The way that they, they explicitly framed them to me was always immigrants and minorities. How the pizza guy was working the pizza job. And, and that scene in the cave, like, that, that was absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, no where- one sh- No one should be forced to eat microwave macaroni and cheese. Nobody. Excuse me, I like Easy Mac. Um, that was, that was not where I thought that was going. I'm impressed. <laughs> but no, just that scene where he, he loses uh, the one burnish girl who's been experimented on. Um... But just to me, I remember the other scene in the movie that really got me is when they're out on that kind of oil rig looking thing where it's very clearly like a burnish, like migratory camp. And they just start shooting it up and arresting them and piling them in like, and they're just like, yep, we got all the fuel we need. And then Leo just loses a shit in the volcano. But like that to me was like one of the most explicit things I had seen. I was like, yeah, this is a super political movie. Like even more so. Like they're there's saying it out loud, and then there's doubling down on it with imagery, which is something that I think this movie does really well. And I think that Johnny's performance too really does also get a lot warmer as the movie goes on. And yes, everybody in my theater screamed like twelve year old girls when they kissed. Um, okay, legit, <laughs> legit. Fire kiss. Can we talk about the fact that they actually committed to that? Oh yeah, they didn't cheap out and like cut away and everyone and everyone's like, oh, they're just giving CPR. I'm like, yeah, but it's also still dudes, and he fucking lingers, man. He fucking lingers. That's like a ten to fifteen second shot. They know. They held it. It's they- so good. I would like to thank Imaishi for feeding all of us in this time of trials. <laughs> Uh, speaking of feeding things, I know I was talking very seriously, so let me make this unserious. By talking about... <laughs> no, it's just like, what the f***? Let me just talk about something about Gallo, which is... Somebody at the Trigger Anime Expo stream just asked how many In-N-Out burgers Gallo can eat in one sitting. And Wakabayashi said the patties aren't that big, so they estimated he can eat about 5 to 10 of the double-double burgers based off how much pizza he can eat. I am screaming. And then somebody <laughs> drew the image of him eating the double-double burgers. With Leo looking at him like, are you kidding me? Uh, but no, I'm ready to move into final thoughts because holy shit, I did not expect this episode to be this long. God bless. All right. Yeah, let's do it. It's the finale episode, everybody! So, final thoughts. Um... Gallo Timos is a bratty bottom, and Leo Fotia is a switch. <laughs> Andrew, what did you think about the dub? Uh, what I thought about the dub is that it's a really, really good, exceptional dub. I was worried that it was going to maybe be a little too restrained to some Japanese restrictions, which, here's the thing. I think it's good to have some approval and intervention, but I think of the people who want excessive like Japanese intervention when it comes to English dubs, they don't actually know what they want because when you have too much Japanese intervention, you get the new Ava dub where it's a pretty good dub that's very much held back by a lot of strange localizations and like really, really specific like demands for line deliveries. I think it's okay to want that, but it's like that should not be an industry norm at all. Just saying. 
That's my personal soapbox. What I'm going to say, this dub is really good. NYAV Post should be proud. They got a couple of veteran people in it. They've got a couple of relative newcomers. Everybody's giving 110%. The main people are giving their all and then some. It's great. This is not a perfect movie. This is a movie that I think kind of underuses half of its cast and doesn't really know what to do with them. And I think it's got a really good, interesting, relevant message that it kind of ditches for the last act of the movie to go for Rule of Cool uh, Gynax finale, which is a fucking Rule of Cool goddamn great finale, but it's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie, but it's fun. It's wonderful getting to see this in theaters fucking ruled. I love Imaishi. This was a great dub. This was a great movie. I'm glad I could be a part of this, and I can't wait for my fucking collector's edition with the soundtrack to finally get here in a month. We'll probably have it by the time this episode goes up. Yep. Alright, um, yeah, the, the dub here is incredibly solid, um, stellar performances pretty much across the board. Um, going off of what Andrew said about localization, um, I feel like it is a game of trust between the Japanese licensors and scriptwriters, directors, casting directors. Like, I understand the Japanese license holders wanting to make sure that the English dub product is consistent in quality across the board. Um, in this case, I think it worked out really well, but Ava was also mentioned as a sort of, you know, this is how things can start to go wrong. Let's call it the Gynex scale. There we go. Yeah, it's it's interesting given everything. Um the the movie itself is big, bombastic, wears its politics on its sleeve, and just about the entire rest of the, the denim jacket as well. Like there are all sorts of patches all over that thing. Um like it it is just this beautiful, bombastic um kinda wish it was released in theaters a little later, so I could have actually considered it for some dubbies, but eh. Like, I can say this is probably one of the better dubs I've seen all year. Mainly because, you know, I, I can't nominate it for dubbies. But, yeah, it's one of the best dubs I've heard all year. Wow. I am also a little heartbroken that um, I didn't get a chance to see this when it was eligible for the W Awards because I absolutely would have nominated a couple of different performances for this because it's just that good of a dub. There was a high expectation going in based on the pedigree of Trigger, uh, the knowledge that it was a movie and not a TV show, so it could be shown to a bit of a wider audience. That just lent itself to a really solid dub performance, and Michael, Stephanie and Michael and crew did a really good job on this. So... It's going to be boring. This is going to be a little boring to all of you listeners out there, but this is absolutely the kind of invisible dubbing that we should be striving for. And the lack of criticism on this uh, may have made for a very monotonous episode, but hopefully all of our jokes about Pizza Rat and bottoming and everything else that we Simping did, for the mouse. All of that hopefully made up for that, because this really is probably the best distillation of Trigger's ethos I can think of. Um, they have a lot of tendency from their productions or the same crew when they were at Gynax of having a really strong, great idea to start with, lovely visuals to go with it, even when they're not, even when they're hampered by budget constraints, have issues with that, but it always seems to fall apart in the third act when they, they don't quite know how to stick the landing. And this movie kind of just goes back to form in that third act, and they're like, let's just have a robot fight. Let's just have two big metal machines fighting each other. And then there is a resolution that takes place in outer space. You know, that, that leads to the end of the movie. So I went into this, and these guys can attest to this, as the one person in the group who is, it feels like he's overly critical of Trigger. 
because as a studio that touts itself on being a blend of Japanese and Western animation fanboys, I don't always resonate with their content. And as someone who loves Western animation, that is just something that it bugs me a lot, that I don't like their ethos as much. But this was absolutely... I'm going to say this is probably the best thing I've seen from Trigger. Really? I, I'm looking through their, their list of productions, and I'm just talking about stuff they've done under the name Trigger. Like, I really did like the Little Witch Academia shorts. Like, I liked that. That was a good short. I think this is more ambitious and hits a little bit stronger than that short did. The only other thing is I can just say is that it does devolve near the end to a lot of lights and colors flashing over the screen as two robots fight each other. And, I mean, that's not always my kind of thing. It's it's like in uh, the third Star Wars movie where the script just said, Obi-Wan and Anakin fight for 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, that's great. Can we get, like, what we had in the first movie? Where, like, you know, the Battle of Fates kind of thing with the... Uh... Gallo! I have the high ground! I, I would have liked that. That would have been fine. That would have been just fine. But you know what? If you gotta throw your millions of yen at two giant robots fighting each other and I can't tell what the hell anything's happening because the camera won't stay still, go for the visual. Just go for the spectacle. Speaking of spectacle, Megan, take us home. Why am I the spectacle? Ah, fine. I'm blowing this up like the 4th of July. Uh, so yeah, I was also like Noah where I went into this movie like cautiously optimistic because the last few things from Trigger I had watched didn't do it for me. Um... Okay, I can't say that, because I think this came out like a full year after Gridman, which is still my favorite Trigger project, because it is very- it's like the anti-Trigger show. Nobody goes to space in that. Um, <laughs> also, be just please just watch Gridman. Uh, but no, coming off a year where, like, especially for Trigger, they made the worst anime ever in Darling in the Franks, and- Listen, you can debate on which studio made it, but I don't care. Like, if you would have gave that to, like, Madhouse with that team, it still would have sucked ass. But in my opinion, this movie went from being something that, like, I was very cautiously optimistic about to being genuinely impressed, kind of a little bummed that it went full trigger, but becoming fully obsessed with the characters of this. I, I'm a Galileo Shepard. What do you expect? Um, yeah, please don't kick, please don't kick shame me if you like Galoina. I'm not gonna kick shame you. I'm really sorry. I just realized something. Gallo and Leo. Is that a reference to Galileo? What? Motherfucker. Oh my god. The uh, the the science guy. The, the, <laughs> Galileo, the, the, the science guy. <laughs> Noah. <laughs> Noah, my guy, go to bed. I just enjoyed that you just described Galileo as you know. Science guy. <laughs> Science rules. Oh, God. You know what I'm really mad about that never got a dub, but there is an actual anime about the descendants of Galileo. Yep. And it has a bitchin' OP. Oh, my God. There's, like, three girls are his direct descendants in a post-apocalyptic world, right? And they have, like, a time-traveling goldfish robot. Yeah. Oh, my God. And at the end, um, I'm gonna spoil a sub-only show. Apparently at one point, one of them goes back in time and Galileo's got the hots for his own descendants. Well, I mean, that's anime. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's I also see. Futurama. Frog <laughs> his own grandmother. Um, okay, this is the point where we <laughs> steer back around. <laughs> hey, I mean, Frog did the nasty and the pasty. <laughs> I mean, Leo and Galileo are about to do the nasty and the robot, but, um, anyway, I... 
when the stub first came out, I was just kind of very, like, okay on it. Uh, I thought the McKinney was good, but uh, upon rewatching it and now knowing the twists in the movie, I think that the dub got better for me upon, like, a second or third rewatching. Um, it is definitely a seamless dub. It is very, very good. And it does something that I think a lot of other NYAV post dubs that have come out after this have done that I haven't really liked. Um, with the exception of Tokyo Godfathers. Is that after this, Weathering With You went out of its way to get big name celebrities to do the voice acting. And that's something that I really appreciate that this movie didn't do. This movie used established anime voice actors. They didn't go out of their way to go get, like, Chris Hemsworth or something to, to be a voice in this. Um, and that's something that I, I really liked about this dub and why I like this dub a lot better than Weathering With You's. I also like this movie better than Weathering You, but that's for a Weathering With You episode that I'm hopefully never fucking on. Um, that's for another day. Anyway, uh, if you would like to watch Promare, you can pick it up from Shout Factory and G-Kids. Uh, Shout Factory is but you get a limited edition. There's also a Steelbook edition that, at the time when it was announced, it was a Best Buy exclusive, and then it became everywhere. Because COVID meant, like, store exclusives were fucking stupid. Thanks for the human malware, but, um... Uh, you can also pick it up on digital Blu-ray, wherever digital and Blu-ray are sold. Um, if you would like to follow us here at the Dub Talk Podcast, you can follow us at Dub Talk Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, Twitch, uh, Tumblr's dead, uh, Twitter here. Um, if you'd like to support us, uh, as a one-time thing, we have a Kofi. but if you'd like to support us on the reg, we do have a Patreon with our $5 tier, B. Morris, Michelle Travis, Miracula Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, and our $10 tier... Anthony Simpson, Carly Lestacow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Julia W., and Marissa Lenti. Uh, gentlemen, tell me where you can be found on Twitter. Uh, I am Classy Spartan. You can find me on Twitter at MangaMan9000, where my other podcast gig, outside of being part of the Dub Talk podcast, uh, you can find me as a co-host on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about anime news alongside another Dub Talk podcast alumni, uh, Jet. Aside from that, doing the best we can under these circumstances, and God, I miss doing these. I miss doing with you guys. You're all fucking assholes and beautiful bastards, and I love all of you. You can put your shirt back on. Eh, I'll wait till the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Uh, mainly just retweet cute animal pics, um, sometimes talk general fandom stuff. It's a good time. You should come see me. Also, I know I've been saying this for the past, like, year, but I'm trying to work on reviews again. I, I'll figure out a show to write about at some point and put it somewhere. Excellent. I'm going to pester you about that. Make sure that you actually follow through on that. Please do. I'm, I'm just going to go up to you. I'm, I'm going to do the, um, the pop team epic thing. I'm just going to poke you. Be like, are you annoyed? Are you annoyed? Are you annoyed? Are you writing? Yes, I'm annoyed. All right. So, uh, my name is Noah Clue. You can follow me on Twitter at Noah Clue. I like to talk about cartoons a whole world over, and even ones in outer space, if we ever eventually go to our plans to start making cartoons there. Of course we will, when we finally leave the planet. And I have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler. It's there. Megan. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Queener2. Uh, I <laughs> post. And speaking of <laughs> post, hey, Noah, we have one for you in the in the Skype thing. That we need you to watch on recording. Oh, in the Skype thing. Okay. Noah, I need you to watch this on recording. I've been meaning to send this to you, and I haven't. I I've already seen your um your your fan art image. <laughs> <in the> Twitter <laughs> DMs. 
<laughs> I think like, I I can't put that in the episode, by the way. No, it's explicit, as <laughs> but I needed to explain it's to you. It's explicit what that... and probably copyright, but please watch it right now. <laughs> all right, what all right? What am I supposed to be watching? This video the thing I just posted. Okay, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, how this can't be that bad. Oh god! My god, come get your fucking juice, kings of the bars. <laughs> <laughs> in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, wait, wait. Just hold. keep watching. No, no. Wait, wait, wait. Banging chicks and marry a man. And get my dog. Must. Fawn has a two. Crazy not I'm invited. Not <laughs> Congrats on the sex. Two kings walking hand in hand, promise to cherish love and respect him. Smashing, be merry, a man. Good night. That's the end of the episode. Good night, summer of the movies is over. Otaku on, my buddies. Woo. Vicky, Vinny, Vin, Vinny, what? Vinny, 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 Vinny.